for a few more people to roll in. Give me a minute. I'm going to grab some breakfast here. Kind of chat about whatever you guys want to talk about. If you have any questions about various charts and things, expectations, um, various analysis, uh, feel free to hop on up, discuss whatever you feel like it, shield your bags, whatever. Pretty much everything's going to go up in a bull market. So it's like you can be a total retard here and um, and do well. And I think it's it's pretty clear that we're in a in you know obvious bullish market with um, all the new BTC data coming in. Um, it continues to run up, and I think uh, ought to break all time high in the next few months with a high high likelihood. Um, just plenty of inflows into the crypto space at the moment, but not a lot of newbies yet, which is good news. It means that there's a lot of cash ready to come into the market. And um, I think the big question becomes like, does Bitcoin do a what gold did after gold had an ETF opening? And, uh, you know, gold, I can't remember exactly the numbers, but it ran from like $200 to I think 1000 plus or something. Can that same thing happen with BTC where you get like a giga send? I think it's quite possible um, that you get like the wild numbers everyone's been predicting for Bitcoin for so many years. Um, but I think like the ability for it to hit all time high is pretty much obvious at this point, the ability for BTC to run like, you know, hundred K plus is fairly straightforward given the scarcity happening coming up in April and a lot of ETF inflows, um, on a week to week basis. Um, pomp went on, uh, Fox news and kind of like did his spiel on there, did pretty good. And, um, you know, it was kind of pumping BTC and kind of like the, the, he, he tries to veer, steer clear of like price predictions, obviously, because, you know, you're going to be wrong no matter what you predict. And then you look like an idiot on TV and people kind of like retweet you and stuff or whatever about your bad predictions. So a lot of people have just gotten away from making predictions and whatnot on TV just because it's like messes with their rep or whatever. Um, but, uh, and, and I don't really know where it can go, but the, the altcoin space, of course, if you want sort of like a serious moon boy type numbers off of the altcoin space, you know, BTC is at 1 trillion now. Even if it hits like 2x where it is now and goes to 2 trillion market cap, altcoins are just going to absolutely gigascend, as you know, um, from previous uh, altcoin cycles. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, I think like if you've been here for the last couple of years and you're not by and large fully allocated, um, you probably like, you know, not financial advice or whatever, but like you probably ought to be. Um, I don't know like how much more bullish news you're ever going to expect. 
um, like, you know, between the ETF and no obvious crypto FUD right now, um, most of the leverage being expunged from the system back during the FTX crash um, and a lot of the big, big players being already wrecked, you know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of serious FUD left over in all seriousness, like a uh, pretty good confluence of, you know, events and whatnot at one time to do really well with everything. Um, I think like where you have to be a bit careful uh, at this point going forward is you're going to see a lot of random new projects open up. I mean, in the next six months, you're going to see tons of little tokens open up dApps and, you know, shitty meme coins or whatever. And I think the the you have to be careful, sort of like jumping into um, a lot of random things with your money, uh, and then losing money for no apparent reason. Um, if you're going to buy things, uh, you know, take it really, really small. I mean, you know, if you have like something that can hundred x or whatever, um, and it's some random new coin that you just picked up that day, you know, you know, you, you, know, you throw hundred bucks into it, and the thing ten x is. Um, you're doing quite well. So like, don't, don't put crazy money. Uh, it's truly like the, this micro cap areas and, and new coins. It's like pretty much gambling, um, a high low game of like, who's going to sell before you do and, uh, be really careful with those things. So I think like, um, the things that you can buy at size with serious amounts of your money are very different from the things that you can gamble on and have fun with. And, uh, just make sure you split those two things into two separate sort of bags and don't get too carried away. Um, now at the same time, if you're going to get carried away, like now is the time to get carried away. And why is that? Because most of the alts in particular have had nice pullbacks and, um, you know, have like retraced pretty nicely. BTC is running and, you know, does BTC run a whole lot first and then everything else runs? Maybe, but also you could just see everything else run with BTC and be pretty neutral because everyone knows that like the ROIs are higher on, uh, on non-Bitcoin alts. So, um, you know, just like pay attention to, to that, find your, find your sort of niche in terms of what you like, and then just probably stick with it. Um, and then, uh, really just avoid losing money. That's the key thing here, I think. Um, and we're early enough and, you know, people say, well, it's not really early BTC is 49 K. Yeah, but like the alts in the altcoin space were definitely relatively early. I mean, BTC hasn't, I'm sorry, ETH hasn't broken all-time high. It's only like half the way there. Um, and a lot of other things are have pulled back pretty nicely. There are some things that look a lot more hot, like, you know, your your newer coins and whatever that have already run for the last six months to a year. That's where, you know, you don't know how much more juice is left in that. Uh, so that's where you want to be a bit careful. But uh, otherwise, like, Plenty of cool stuff to buy um, and uh, and play with, and hopefully everyone has a great year. Looks like good times ahead. Um, be careful on leverage and whatnot. And if you've already made a bunch of money, I'm talking to you, Bruce. Like if you've made a lot of money on leverage, don't blow it all on more leverage. I think it's very easier, much easier to get like spot bags at this point and just ride these things up. Uh, preserve your capital and um, and. Uh, like just keep that going because uh, really like there's always going to be another market and you can always play more when, when, when all of your, when you have tons of capital and you're doing great, you always have a lot of money to play again in uh, a lot of other things. So like <laughs> this year is about kind of, you know, making it and, and keeping it Midas Midas. I'm talking to you. Um, stop fucking around. <laughs> hey, what's up? How you been, man? I'm doing well. Just trying to, 
working right now with my team trying to fix some right. bugs some ai app that i'm developing but um so far so oh, yeah. good you're with when you're with, with, with davinci or what i don't remember Nah, i used to be with leonardo and leonardo yeah leonardo yeah yeah but um i got the name partly them, right yeah i took them to 1 million users and then i just like drop off because uh my job was done in there so now i'm developing my own app which which has to do with persuasion and copywriting and you know creating um mainly content like reading content that can help you how you say it, like customize the message that you want depending on the audience so you can create yeah how you can best different. manipulate people with your ai yeah i get it yeah yeah so yeah I'm, I'm just developing that for my own team so they can start like working on several projects we have and i can just like focus completely on the crypto scene because I'm tired of, you know, like the other niches and the other markets. They're fucking boring. It's not like, <laughs> like yeah, like, like I'm having a lot of fun in crypto and I just want to have like full time again on this stuff. But but I need some like what, recurring. The last time you you guys were going into like Web3 jobs and shit, it was a top signal, though. So luckily you're doing this a lot earlier this time. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not gonna be working on crypto. Like, I don't like to work. That's the that's the reality of of life. I just want to have fun. I just want to like talk with people. Um, like perhaps advise them with some projects, but not taking any full time jobs anymore. Yeah, like so, you're not gonna become a woman of Web three full time. No, it's like not, just not do part time Web three. I get yeah, it. Queen Queen Midas is gone. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to know when the top is here because like there'll be spaces with women of Web3 back again. Right now, there's like six girls in crypto. And uh, like when they all return, it's like, you know, we're fucked. And they all follow Coach Bruce. So that you, you know, right? Like whenever, whenever. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can start like, coming to spaces without Coach Bruce. take advantage Bruce. of this. Yeah, we have to take advantage of this rich man on the on the Twitter with the little funny PFP. Actually, I, I don't know how much money these these women of Web three have stolen from Bruce. To be honest, it could be quite a lot. Like, I think they got their claws into him. I'm pretty sure. We we had Lewin here, which is a woman. Oh, she's here. Yeah, see, that's don't what I'm saying. We yeah, have like one or two girls. Yeah, yeah, don't be don't be creepy, Cify. Yeah, I'll try not to be too creepy, but no guarantees around here. We say whatever we want to, right? So, what's up? Like, do you think uh, PTC is going to higher than fifty k? Are we going to have a retracing or what's your? No, I think it's like, like there's just no there's no bearish. There's no bearish anything happening, like I because like pretty much you have basically all good news, and then the ETF buyers, a lot of those people are new, um, so a lot of cash is flowing into crypto now that wasn't there before, um, and I think like yeah, Pomp just mentioned on Fox News or whatever that you know there's like 
billions that have flowed into BlackRock. I think they're approaching four billion. I think Fidelity is approaching a couple of billion. I bought some in Fidelity myself, so I know that like <laughs> there's some there's people buying, and you can basically swap from like stocks and shit right to your right to crypto in those things. Um, so a lot of people are up on stuff like Nvidia or whatever, and they're like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Like I've made my gains, and so they're they're gonna like easily be able to swap into to Bitcoin there. And it doesn't matter where the inflows come from, so long as Bitcoin goes up in value. What happens is, as you and I both know, that like all the leverage degens go fucking crazy and start buying everything. And if you go down the risk curve, if you go down to like mid caps, small caps, micro caps in the crypto space, what happens is, is like if you buy something micro cap, it basically is like already a leverage play on Bitcoin and ETH and whatever, because the leverage will come and they will borrow off of their assets and they will go and buy everything under the sun and anything that hasn't mooned like oh look that chart hasn't gone up let me go buy that that's the kind of behavior that plays out in a full-on irrational bull market so i think like all of us here who have largely loaded our bags pretty early are going to be fine um you're going to have other people with leverage pump your bags at this point and that's kind of the way this is played um so like if you're looking at like uh, you know, all the way up and down the risk curve from, I think, some of the least risky things to the most risky in terms of price volatility. At this point, like, everything's just a meme now. Tokenomics is a meme. Your fundamentals are a meme. Nobody gives a flying fuck what your coin does. Like, that is not the point right now. <laughs> like, trying to explain to people what the coin does is almost absurd. Like, they're just not, they're just like, oh, let me go push a button and buy some things. All the newbies that are going to show up here as BTC crosses high they don't fucking have any clue what they're buying. They just see an icon on the screen. They're like, ooh, that's a pretty icon. I'll buy that. Or like, I like the name of this. It sounds good. I'm going to buy that. It's just pure irrational nonsense. And um, it's like what everyone does when they first come to the crypto space, right? They're like, oh, that one looks good. Or I heard somebody on uh, YouTube or Twitch or some shit, like, or whatever, um, you know, say this or say that, and they'll go and jump in. So I think that's kind of the the market when you have a full-on irrational exuberance kind of market. It's going to be a lot of fun. and um, But you got to be careful. Like there's going to be a lot of grifters and stuff. There's going to be people pitching every random little microcap bullshit coin. And you have to be careful. Like, yeah, throw a hundred bucks here and there or something or a little bit of, you know, play money. But uh, be super careful about a lot of like ICOs, a lot of launchpad type launches, DEX type launches, fuck all of that. Like you, the odds that you're going to like, do well in that is poor unless you are absolutely in tune with that 24-7 and you're watching the those pumps and dumps and whatever. Um, I, I would say like if you're very experienced with that sort of thing, you understand valuations, you, you can get an early or maybe you got an early allocation in something because you were in their Discord or whatever the fuck else. Like you're an early investor, that's a different thing. But if you're jumping into that space and just not throwing money and stuff, it's basically a high-low game. Got to be careful. Um, don't fuck yourself over with those things. So, like, um, I would say kind of like, you know, my sort of like allocations have gotten slimmer and slimmer. Like, I'm in less things now than I once was. And I think, like, my highest conviction things at the moment for, like, starting from, like, the lowest market cap up. So lowest market cap right now, Zephyr looks the most interesting. Why? It's because it's proof of work, which makes it hard to go to zero. And you can throw some money in there. And basically, it's private. And it's basically like, you know, the little sister of Monero, but better. And um, it has plenty of plenty of upside here. So it's like reaching 20 bucks or so today. 
And if Bitcoin continues to fly, remember, a lot of these people are proof of work, like hardcores. These are all people that are Bitcoin wealthy or like mine a lot of different proof of work coins. So when they see their Bitcoin bag going up, they see that they are flush with cash essentially in their head. And they're going to start buying every random proof of work coin you can imagine. They're all going to moon. So you'll see that happen before too long if BTC keeps going up. So Zephyr is an easy leverage play on the proof of work marketplace on top of the fact that like it has cool properties. So that's kind of my bet on the small cap. As you go up from there, it's like next after that would be something like I like Kujira. Um, why? Because like Dove and their team and whatever are really good and they've treated the Terra community well. And if you were like any of us that got wrecked on Terra uh, for different reasons, uh, then you know, you know that like your airdrop from Kuji uh, has performed exceptionally well. They have brought ongoing value. They b keep building beautiful dApps that look fantastic UX, UI, um, like really best in class, I would say, or like as good as it gets in a, in a, in a large sense. Um, and so that's kind of my bet for that kind of what I would consider mid cap, you know, it's like kind of a 400 million market cap type number. Um, I have some random shit, like I have a little bit of dimension and all the other like little mid cosmos coins. I have bits of bags here and there in, of course. Um, and, um, and those things will do some, you know, upside, but remember all of those things, like your say networks and whatever else, you got to figure out a price to get the fuck out of those things. Like maybe 10 billion market cap at most, maybe 5 billion or whatever, pick a time where you're like, I'm out because what will happen is, is you have like really, really high fully diluted valuations and smart money is not going to buy that shit, right? Like the VCs and whatever that bought that or have it from the very beginning are going to be up like hundred X thousand X. And um, someone's going to dump on you at some point, or it's just simply a matter of like, people aren't going to like keep buying that coin at size. And it's hard to move those market caps as they get bigger and bigger. And the liquidity depth gets higher and higher. And then the, the ROI you think you're going to get, you mostly get the max ROI on the first 10x, like the first 2x, the first 5x. You start worrying about a 20 and 100x, it's just idiotic because there's so many ways to make a 2x in this space. Like if you make a 10x, get the extra 2x somewhere else by doubling elsewhere or just simply move to cash and wait and you'll do fine. But like trying to get the perfect top and all this on nonsense is for amateurs mostly. Don't worry about that um, at all. Um, so going up sort of like the market caps and stuff, the, 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 in the large cap things, um, I kind of, I agree with Tenderman Timmy, who's down here that like, um, pretty much from a tech perspective, it is now sort of like the primo tech in the crypto space, um, chain link and the connectivity between chains. I mean, like to be fair is really better than in many ways, IBC for Cosmos. So that's kind of like something that everyone's gonna have to come to grips with. Even Cosmos chains probably have to incorporate Chainlink CCIP at some point, because if tons and tons of assets show up through CCIP, and right now you have PaxG Gold, you have USDC, that's just some of the beginning. You have a bunch of implementations with Ethereum chains. If stocks and things come in through that space, if real world assets come in, they are the most credible and likely leader in real world assets. And they're not on anybody's RWA list, which is funny because they're the ones most likely to reach like giga RWA sort of levels in terms of stock markets, banking markets and everything else. And they've been working at this for years. And so it's really hard to catch up to them now in terms of like relation, business relationships, business development. I think they're hiring like 80 more people now for BD stuff. Midas, maybe you can get a job with Chainlink people 
they're hiring like fucking crazy. <laughs> like, so, um, but what's going to happen here is like the tech there is going to allow so many new assets that like the, the reality is like, you won't be competitive unless you connect to Chainlink. That's what's about to happen. And what most of the, the crypto space thinks of is like just stupid, you know, nonsense. Like they have no idea what that's what's coming. I didn't know that that was at that magnitude until I researched it further. Like when I bought Chainlink a couple of years ago, it was like more on pure speculation. Ah, the FTX crash, whatever. I'll buy some Chainlink, whatever. You know, I ran it up last season and I'll run it up again. But this time I think it's truly the underdog as far as like it's it's um it's comparison to like its all-time high isn't in a good place and simultaneously um it hasn't run up so for example as much as solana from its bottom and um like it's both beautiful from a fundamentals perspective and it's been beneficial from a chart perspective in terms of like how much upside is still left how much gas is left in the tank so i think that's my my top sort of lead in the the high market cap zone um, and i think it has like like where do i think it's going to go i think it could go to 140 as like which basically like two fib extensions easily i think it can get all the way to the 240 or 500 fib extensions if it pulls a full eth giga run now does that happen does it not happen does sergey dump on you does it like all that sort of bullshit you know that's all just maybes right but if i go from here to $140 chain link, which is my first FIB extension up from the, the high, then like I'm doing really well and I'm not too worried about how much higher it goes. And maybe I won't even like, maybe I won't even, um, you know, worry about going any higher. I'll sell at 140 and I'll be giga rich again anyway. So what do I care? But the point is like, can it do a ETH style run? It is that, it is second cycle for chain link, just like it's it was second cycle for ETH last season. And the ROI here could be quite good. Um, and if you look at the top, you know, coins out there, like Chainlink brings to the ecosystem a layer one that is actually being adopted, but not just a layer one. What I realized after looking at this long and hard is Sergey was right all along. Like you had to build a credible Oracle system first, because without the Oracle system, you have no basis for like a layer zero. I didn't mean layer one, a layer zero ecosystem, because in order to exchange various um, assets between other assets, you pretty much have to have a deep sort of like underground liquidity pool. Imagine like the oil under the earth is like, you know, the liquidity of oil, you know, that's hiding underneath. This becomes that layer zero and assets can flow back and forth and up to the surface from there to all the different chains, all the different companies that might want to connect. And that Oracle service being the core fundamental was necessary to make this happen. So why is like Cosmos IBC not the same thing? Well, a Cosmos IBC relayer channel essentially allows you to move like one coin between, um, you know, one chain to the other. And you have to have an open channel for that specific coin. And then you have to have a liquidity pool for that specific coin. And on top of that, you don't even necessarily have like an Oracle service between them. So what Cosmos does not do is like, let's say you're an IBC chain, like let's say you're Kujira. You don't suddenly have access to every IBC coin out in the ecosystem of Atom, right? Or in the ecosystem of Cosmos. That just doesn't happen. You have to have a separate channel for every coin and it's a fragmented user experience. It's really concerning. If you look at Chainlink, the difference is it provides a singular unified um, like pool of liquidity where if you connect say to CCIP right now, let's say you're Kajira or you are Injective or somebody, 
and you connect to these things, now you can access every other chain's liquidity or coins that um, that Chainlink offers or has already connected. So they're sort of like in the right position. You might say, well, why not any other layer zero? Why other layer zeros couldn't actually compete with Chainlink? It's because they don't have the key feature, which is the like really, really high grade, high quality Oracle system and a node network that has built out for that. So when you add those two pieces together, the Oracle plus the CCIP component, then you add the gravy in, which is the real world asset slash um, integration with like DTCC and Swift, whatever. Even if that shit's all vaporware, even if that never materializes, um, Link is still like the better tech on this planet as far as crypto is concerned that I've seen. If someone has anything that beats it right now in terms of interchain operability, I'm all ears. But here, Timmy probably knows one way or the other. Timmy, what do you think? Have I gone completely ape shit or like, is this realistic? Oh, he dropped shit. <laughs> like, let me see if I can, he's come back. Um, but yeah, like, uh, so either I'm completely like become like a weird chain link moon boy and I'm just insane or I'm correct in this. Um, and uh, my instincts tend to be pretty good with these things for the most part. Um, but I think the growth potential is there. I don't think it's like understood by the market. Yeah, Link, I mean, I'm sorry, Timmy, you're good now. Uh, tell me, what do you think? Like, what do you think of my like analysis slash whatever of this situation of Chainlink? I, I think you're on point. I didn't come up to add anything or correct really just to pin this one tweet that I pinned above because the only remaining question in my mind is if CCIP and IBC can coexist or not. Midas, can you hear him? I cannot hear. Oh, I can't Timmy. hear Midas. I can just uh, hear you. Oh, Timmy, I think you might have to reset the app and come back. Maybe I think you're half bugged or something. Anyway, yeah, like I think Timmy's point is is a good one in that, um, like my concern is the same. I'm looking at this, going, wait a minute, like IBC, which is like this interblockchain communication protocol, is interesting, but it's missing some key features that CCIP has at this point. And now we're stuck with a catch-up game, and it's not really clear to me that, um, you know, like IBC as it is designed today can actually do what CCIP does, and that's a really, really concerning situation for Cosmos. And I think everyone in Cosmos should be having this fucking conversation right now. And the fact that we're not seeing that conversation taking place in Cosmos at large is extremely concerning to me <laughs> like so you know, people say well you know you, you you're like a moon boy you don't fudge your bags and whatever but like you know i have plenty of cosmos bags and i have plenty of friends and family with cosmos bags around here and i think it's a major concern that needs to be sort of considered Midas, have you thought about this at all like what cosmos ibc is and what it means to everything as being a you know lunatic and all um not not really like i haven't even checked what's uh ccip to be honest i'm more of a cosmos maxi rather than you know any other but you know uh, but you know what ibc is right you know what the, yeah, yeah so imagine ccip is that the ability to like connect blockchains together but the difference is it's a layer zero which means it's almost like an entirely different computing ecosystem, whereas IBC is simply a relayer where you have send one coin from uh, you know, one chain to the other, and you have to set up a relayer and a channel for every single coin between every single uh, Cosmos destination. 
So the big difference here is like imagine Midas, you incorporate IBC for a coin on Kujira to allow a channel to go to osmosis, right? That would be an example. You, yeah. by doing that, you don't automatically get a channel that goes to um, every other Cosmos chain you can imagine just because you incorporated, let's say, you know, um, injective, you know, into your IBC framework, you don't get to go to every Cosmos chain with your injective token. It doesn't work this way. Does that make sense? You have to have a channel yeah. for every single coin for every single destination. It's sort of like, that's the idea. With IBC, the difference is the moment you attach Arbitrum or Optimism, which are both attached to, um, and so is Polygon for that matter, I believe, um, you add these things to the CCIP ecosystem, you can now go to any other CCIP connected location. Think of it as like the giga bridge of all bridges, but without like, but built to withstand sort of like the usual bridge hack risks and whatnot, right? That's the idea. So, so bridges become obsolete, routing becomes obsolete, IBC becomes obsolete, uh, and uh, what is it called? Um, yeah, like even in to some extent, the wide variety of decks has become obsolete as well. <laughs> so it's like a, it's a pretty big deal, and I don't think anyone realizes to, like, the number of people that realize even, this is very small. To even add to that, like okay, beyond okay. just setting so, up a um, channel. Oh, can uh, I? Midas, it, might be, it might be you that's bugged, Midas, because he came back and he's you still can't hear him. Oh, let oh, me just open my, let my app again. Yeah, drop off and come back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just going to add, in addition to setting up those channels for just basic token transfers, there's then additional work that's needed on each chain of two connecting with IBC to enable anything more than token transfers. So whether it's interchain accounts or IBC hooks, if you want to like control a dApp on another chain from a transaction you sign on a different chain, that's even more work that needs to be done beyond just the base level IBC relayer setup, whereas that kind of comes with CCIP. Now it's still in development and like support is added slowly, but again, like if, if you just integrate CCIP with your chain, that stuff sort of comes with it, where integrating IBC at a base level just gives you token transfers. You then have to do extra work to do like cross-chain smart contract talking or anything like that. Yep, and on top of that, the the NFT standard on CCIP also allows you to transfer NFTs to any other connected CCIP connected thing. So let's say you buy a, an NFT on Polygon, and now you go to you know Kujira, which has CCIP. You can now sell that um, you know on that look in that destination, and regardless of what the original destination chain was, that data that that where that NFT lives is managed in the background by CCIP. So you can't double spend it or whatever. So it's in that respect, it like functions kind of like a bridge, but kind of not. It's different than a bridge in this sense. And um, it's, uh, yeah, so I think like this experience would be the abstraction that the end user needs to be able to move anything to anything. And the end user doesn't really have to think about it. And then in the mix of all of this, Chainlink becomes the gas token in the background to fuel the, the swaps was, and whatnot. I was just going to say the other major difference that people rarely touch on is I've been staking a wide number of Cosmos tokens for many years now. I have not gotten a drop of revenue from IBC because users don't pay to IBC. Validators cover it. 
Whereas I've been staking Chainlink for just a few months and with CCIP being live, I've made like $200, $300 in not token emissions, but actual fees and revenue. Kind of like how people talk about Kujira. All of the funds I've gotten from staking Link aren't new tokens coming into existence. It's tokens people have paid to use the Chainlink service. So like just inherently it has a sustainable yeah. revenue model. Yeah, that's a problem. Time. That is a problem with IBC is that it doesn't have a sustainable revenue model. Like nobody makes money in Cosmos as a result. And that's a problem for growth. Yeah, and, you literally uh, run yeah. IBC channels with the hopes it will bring you more delegations on various chains and that you'll right. make back your money there. And that's just kind of a gamble. Yeah, so I, I think like sustainable architecture that can power the world's future computing systems um, is like is the big game here. And like maybe there's people that are doing what Chainlink's doing. Like there's Pith Network and some different things. That I'm not sure how far they've gotten. Um, but, and, and maybe the right answer is like, you know, if you're, if you're an investor, you get a little bit of everything that way, like anything in that sector, maybe you get a little exposure to, if you're not sure what you want, but I think like at size here, I think where the price of link is relative to its consolidation period in the five to $10 range. Like, I think it's like really has not seen that much upside yet. Um, and so therefore like its chart looks really good too on top of the fact that it has good fundamentals um and like if you were to pin down most people in crypto today and say hey do you know what chainlink does now they don't have any clue timmy like i didn't have a clue uh, up until like the last couple of months where i started really digging into it going to their developer site and kind of looking at what it does and how you implement it into a chain and then i'm like wait a minute like um their infra is right really good for training new people and bringing new new clients in or new new chains in as well their build program and whatever else they've got going on is really interesting and we've we've struggled and you, like your website is part of this right like for cosmos we have struggled to sort of like educate and bring in um like new developers into um ecosystems and like uh, cosmos has like relatively inexpensive infrastructure you can start up a chain really easily but what it doesn't have is like really really fantastic documentation and all those things and uh, Chainlink people have been working very hard to make it I mean, very easy to um, like implement their thing into different ecosystems. Like even GMX, which is one of the big like popular perps trading platforms, uh, is an example. Incorporated it, and they're like, and that, I was on an AMA with them, and they're like, yeah, there really isn't no, there isn't really a competitor in the market. I would think if anybody, GMX would know what you should implement <laughs> into a system like that because they also have a coin where the yield comes from the the real revenue of the trading revenue of the ecosystem and they incorporated Chainlink, and they have to pay some money for those transactions. But, you know, the point is like, if you want a quality service and you want that to persist over the long run, you got to pay for it. Like having these unsustainable systems with weird sort of like volunteer based relayer channels and whatnot is bullshit. Um, you know, like you get what you pay for. And in Cosmos, one of the things we do not have is, like a background relayer system that is actually funded properly by your transaction. So when you go to Cosmos and you see a bunch of like transactions that are almost free, that's not a good thing, guys. Like, like you need to see some fees that go to people that make money. And when people are making money, they're likely to expand your network and they're likely to like build and do whatever. And you can't have these system run for practically free. Solana is an example of this problem too, by the way. Um, it's like a, like questionably, you know, in terms of whether it's like long-term sustainable, everyone in the ecosystem that's building, creating, whatever, 
like should be making some money. That's what an economy is. If it's all some sort of like weird, like socialist Ponzi, like the reality is it's going to crack at some point and, or, or growth is going to be constrained at some point because people don't feel like it's worth validating for a service or whatever. And, um, and that's a problem. Tank, what you up to, man? Like any, any takes on the, the, the beautiful market today? I think you were doing a YouTube channel or you were, Tank was doing a, a video on, uh, and, he, and he was streaming it on Twitch, but I'm not, uh, streaming on X, but I missed, missed it. I got it in the very end. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Um, and I absolutely love what you and Timmy are talking about with Chainlink. I know you've been actually ringing that bell for, like you said, past couple of months. I was very, very much like you. Like I bought Chainlink, obviously not as much, but I'm glad I did way back when, um, when I first figured out what it, what, what, what it was doing back then, just collecting data and, you know, making everything available for everybody. But, but the more I dug into what, like what you're saying with CCIP, like I've slowly started to realize exactly what you're saying as well. And it's funny because I'm a Cosmos person, but my chain link, and I, it's weird. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I am more, as far as my portfolio go, a link Marine than I am a cosmonaut. And that's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's crazy that's, for me too. I because I I'm the same way. I bought a fuck ton of link, and I'm not kidding. So like, my link bags are the largest cash purchases I've made in crypto. I would say ever. Like so so to say that I, that's my full disclosure. That gives you some idea of how much I've poured into poured into it. So yeah, my conviction's high that it is the like under recognized play today in crypto. And um, yeah, so like yeah, definitely my money's where my mouth is, and and it does make me nervous when I look at CCIP and what it does when you, because they have an Oracle service too, right? Like it's all in one. Like, how are you going to compete with that shit? Exactly. Like, I don't like, there's nothing in the Ethereum network. There's nothing in the Cosmos network. There's nothing in Solana, nothing that any chain has today. And not, I'm, I'm talking about not a one that actually does what chain link networks do. And remember chain link's not a blockchain. That's the key. Like the token is just a token that's secured on, you know, you know, whatever, Ethereum or whatever, but like, it's, that's not what the point of the token is. The network on the whole previously didn't have any value accrual mechanism to the link token, right? That was the case before. That's becoming less and less so the case now where it's like only sustainable staking is allowed, where if there's enough staking um, available to allow users to go and stake their coins, they allow you to stake if there's real revenue. And they cap it so that like, the people that stake aren't getting diluted too much in terms of revenue. So there is going to be more and more and more reasons to stake link um, going forward for people. And that is like real yield, like Timmy mentioned, which is a very different thing than what we are used to. Do you stake it? Do you stake it, uh, Steffi? I don't stake mine, to be honest with you. I, I have not staked tank because like my sense is that we are going into sort of like the full send bull market at the moment. And at this point, like being liquid probably makes more sense. Uh, yeah, because yeah. the yield is good and everything, and there's certainly people that are going to hold forever. And if you are holding forever, obviously stake it, like duh. But if you are not holding forever and you want to, like, one, ride up this bull market giga pump, and remember, like, the tops are about hype, the bottoms are about utility. So you don't like, you know, like, staking as the thing goes up to infinity doesn't make sense. It makes sense to be liquid, I think. So for for link, like, you know, it, if it does a ETH style giga run, you're really talking about like $500 range, crazy numbers. Um, it's not common that you, you know, like, are you going to get that? Maybe, maybe not. 
yeah, who knows? Like, you know, but like, can it reach 140 this time with almost breaking no sweat at all? Sure. Cause like last time it was a 53, a two X from there gets you, you know, easily to the next fib level of, you know, I think there's a fib level at 102 and then at 140. So could you start exiting at those levels? Maybe, you know, depending on how the market's looking. Now, on the other hand, that beca- that brings us back to Bitcoin. The thing is, like, we haven't had a confluence of things like ETFs and whatnot before. Does Bitcoin, and, and look at the stock market, look at NASDAQ, look at NVIDIA and everything else. Like, stuff is really sending as far as, like, the markets are concerned. And those people are going to exit to what? Maybe they'll exit thinking that, hey, look, the next giga run is Bitcoin. I'm going to buy some. So there is a qu- quite a strong possibility that we have a very strong up move of BTC. And you know what happens if that happens. Like if you have a crazy Bitcoin year, like, you know, 150 to 250, something like that, then the alts are going to absolutely send. So I think the thing to watch for is like, where does BTC go? And then you reevaluate what you're going to sell, when you're going to sell it and whatever, and have like, keep, keep an eye on things. So I'm not staked at the moment with Link, but um, people that did stake are fairly, are quite profitable, like, like Timmy mentioned. But um, yeah, Pleb, what's up, man? It's been a bit. Hey, Steffi. Um, what's up? Thanks for letting me come up and ask a question yeah, real quick. Go ahead. Um, listen, listening to you and Tank, I am severely underexposed to Link, and so I feel like a pleb. But I do have some bags I feel good about. So um, just like a general question, because I really agree with what you're saying here, and it sounds like Tank does too. Um, I really respect his opinion, but it does feel like we are going into the, the full bull cycle here at this point. Um, and I have very much unstaked a lot of my assets as well. I think being liquid right now is a smart play. Um, all of that statements leads me to my question, which is kind of maybe mid-curving it a little bit, but it's a sentiment I've seen a lot of smarter people put out there. What are your thoughts on this being a left-shifted cycle? Yeah, where everything sends early. I think that's what we're going to have. Like. This rep, this reminds me more of 2016 than anything else. And in 2016, which was a, you know, like BTC happening timeframe, um, everything sent like during that time and then continued all the way through 2017, 2020, what happened is you had the, like the, the COVID crash situation or whatever in the last, um, the, the last bull run, and that kind of put a damper on things right when things were heating up, like at, during the pre-havening timeframe, that's when we had like Chinese miners get kicked and all that shit. Hash rate of Bitcoin dumped off and things went poorly for a bit. And the last time I bought BTC at that season was like around 35, 3,600 bucks. I literally bought the bottom of that capitulation because there's a rule I have in crypto and that's always buy capitulations, always, 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 always. I will sell shit to buy capitulations. Um, and so I like... You never miss those. So I never miss capitulations. I haven't in a very long time. I, I bought Monero's capitulation this last couple a couple of weeks when when it got delisted for Binance, for example. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So this season, I think like 2016 is more reminiscent. It's kind of like consistent with like happening memes, and we happen to have ETF happening happening. Everything's happening all at once. And the beautiful thing too is like a lot of altcoin ch- charts, particularly something like a chain link has not really run much yet. Like Solana got a lot of early popularity this season. And so it has actually run higher fib retracements compared to something like Chainlink. So I think there's a lot of sort of like growth left in a lot of things that haven't moved yet. And um, 
and and relatively low risk in the sense that like how much more can altcoins like you know how much more can atom dump for example probably not much you know so at this point like there's a lot of relatively low risk plays in the market where you don't even have to like be that smart you just sort of like have some exposure and everything's going to pump is my guesstimation but yeah tank uh, you're saying is, is my mic working again oh. uh you're good now yeah it sounds good now sounds good you're now. good okay do okay, you mind if i follow up real quick uh, yeah, yeah go ahead because it, it kind of plays off that and again Steffi, this is me mid curving a little bit but what are your thoughts here because i've been looking at things a lot and you're kind of saying my thought a little bit with how some of like maybe the larger cap or like the older um, assets, you know, long that have been around a little longer or slower to take off. I'm looking at it a little bit like, yes, this is left shifted with Bitcoin and everything like that. And what you're seeing with Solana, maybe an objective, but is crypto as an industry more set up to sustain its bull run on its own a little bit with how many different ecosystems there are, how many airdrops are going to be in play? Do you think that even if we have some left shifted uh, event with Bitcoin, you think we still have the possibility for a long bull cycle because things are narrative driven and there's a lot more just in play for people sort to of, move around sort of, to and but like, like that. Sort of, but at the same time, retail got really wrecked last season. So yeah, you're right. They may be slow to return. And a lot of exchanges and leverage that was available last season is not there now. So I guess like it's possible that things don't. So like, do I know how this is going to go? No. Like, you know, do we have a run up and then a dump and then a run up in another couple of years? I don't know. Like it's all plus or minus. But um, what we do know is like when things get exuberant, they tend to get exuberant fast and people sort of just like ride the pumps so is this time different? Oh, probably not. Like, you know, like when things start to, so what the way I'm thinking of it this season is, okay, you can have your right curve, like mindset, your, your right, you know, your, your high IQ mindset of like, okay, I'm going to pick things based on like what I think is logical. But at the same time, you should pretty much be allocating like a dimwit. Like if you're going to, like, if you're going to FOMO in, like, like it's going to be late to FOMO in if you wait too long, I think, especially in alt space, like where things have only had their first impulse move for the season, like also really not overvalued by any stretch of the imagination for when it comes to like the relative performance of these things in bull markets. So I think we're fine there. So like if you're going to be a dimwit, do it now. Don't do it later. Um, always FOMO early, not late. Do not wait. Like, and anybody in this room, holy shit, if you're filming late and you're in this room, what the fuck's going What's on? What's wrong with you? Yeah, what is wrong with you? What's <laughs> if wrong you're with your in brain? Here, yeah. You need a <laughs> neurosurgeon to take the tumor out of your fucking head. I mean, hey, seriously, you're a moron completely... if you're not allocated now. Like, what do you like? You know, it's weird. Just because we've had we a bear market for two years, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead, Timmy. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I I think he's cut out again, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Sandy, uh, any comments? Yeah, hi. Thanks. Um, first of all, thanks for having this space. Um, and the more you have these spaces, the more I realize we have so much in common. I didn't know you were all uh, holders of Chainlink. And, and so, yes, uh, my name is Sandy. And I also have a bag of Chainlink way back in the beginning. Um, but I came up here. My this, question this feels is, like Alcoholics Anonymous, Sandy. Like, we're, we're yeah. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's really incredible because we're all sitting here alone, you know, shouting in the cosmos, but looking at our chain link bank and, and these other things we're doing, not realizing we have all this in common. But my question to comment is, um, yes, uh, it, it's twofold. One is, uh, just like everybody else, I'm really edgy to just jump into this because I've had all this stuff staked uh, all this time. And so I'm like, I'm staking, but then I'm thinking, wait, is it good to unstake everything? What's going to happen if we all unstake everything? So I thought about that and I just wanted to come in here. Well, remember, to you like, no matter what you that. do, everyone won't do the same thing. So it's like, I think the main thing to do is you as an individual, you pretty much do you. Like, I wouldn't worry about what everyone else does. So like Tank and I, like, you know, if, if we're unstaking some things, it's because it's like, these these coins move to irrational valuations. They're so absurd. The lows are what the actual value of something is, the utility value, in my view. The 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 tops are just simply hype. So if you if you hold through the hype, then like you know, and just stay staked, there's some irrationality to that. Whereas like you you typically want to like, you know, sell, buy back during bear market when things have like pulled back 80%. And then stake at that point, that makes sense because then you're in a bear market, you're holding anyway, you've got your bags and you're making some yield during that time. But like these things go to some absurd valuations. And the reality is like it's a pretty PVP market, Sandy. Like you're thinking like, well, you know, no, my fellow cosmonauts are not going to sell or whatever. Clearly they do. Otherwise, the, 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 the prices wouldn't drop the way they do. And a lot of times it's like, you know, who knows, like founders and early investors, teams, whatever, they all sell at some point. So. If you're fine with them selling so they can fund their bags while at the expense of yours, it's up to you. Like as an investor, you know, even in a company, a stock, whatever, like the reality is like those companies and those those individuals will do what's necessary to allocate capital to research or, you know, development or whatever it is, right? So if you're fine with that and as an investor and you just want to hold something for a decade or more, that's different. If you want to have like, you know, you know, exit with some capital and make some immediate profit, that's a different motive and i think that's that's all fine just like do whatever you want to do like but yeah tank and i like tank maybe you can comment on your strategy this season what what are you doing with your with your state stuff is this thing working yeah fine. you're better you're better from now. computer to phone i guess that was it computer twitter awful okay uh, sorry to cut you off tank but just because been trying to say this for like 10 minutes now i just want to call out something unique about link staking to everyone in the room um and to Sefi and tank honestly i know you guys have done research but link staking is unlike any other staking i've seen where it is capped like right now if you own link you cannot go stake it every couple months they upgrade their whole systems version right now it's on v0.2 so it's still an alpha sort of and it comes out in three phases phase one is like a 24-hour period where the only people that can stake are people who are already staked from previous periods the next section of time usually 24 hours is people who have been holding link for certain snapshot dates then it's open access where anyone can stake so far, it's never even got to open access. And the second phase of it, where if you're just a link holder, it's been slim. It's been like a couple hours where it fills up. So even if you're not sure if you want to commit a large chunk of your link into staking, the next time staking opens up in version uh, 0.3, I would recommend staking at least a few link, like could even be 5, 10, whatever, just so that when version 0.4 rolls around, 
if you're then confident you want to stake a ton, you'll be eligible for that early access phase of people who are already staking. Just I, like a call out. I, I didn't know that, Timmy. Excellent alpha, yeah. by the way. Like, it, it that's does not really, work really like good. other staking platforms. So I thought that's, that'd be good to call out. That's super useful to know that, that like, you know, even if you stake a little bit, you'll be eligible. It's almost like what Porsche does with its cars. Like if you've bought a GT series car, like then you can buy another yeah. one later. That yep. sort of thing. That's cool. Hey, Sophie, I, I'm upset with Timmy that he didn't. Is, is my mic is my mic working? Sorry, you're good. Yeah. Keep on getting yeah, cut in and out. Okay, okay. No, no, no. I, I absolutely love it, Timmy. Um, it's, it's all <laughs> a mayor couple of things I wanted to now. touch on. <laughs> Fucking mayor, damn it. He can't um, hear me. Hold on, I'll relay what Tank so, says for mayor. Thing, Tank, you go, <laughs> and then mayor. <laughs> well, one of the things, one of one of the things, you know, going back to your original, I'm, I'm much like Sefi. Um, you know. For me, the general rule is, and it's very different for, you know, the chain and, and the situation, but usually I stake in a bear market. That's the time I want to say, because I just want to set it, forget it, earn a yield while I'm waiting, right? And then whenever the narrative or the shift change, the wind starts blowing in the right direction, that's when I start unstaking because I want to be, I want to be liquid. Gotcha. I want to be ready to catch those so moves. Mayor yeah, Tank, Tank I want to be ready to out, those moves. I'll relay. Tank just called out his strategy is do a lot of staking. I, I can, in I the can hear Tank. I can oh, cool. Tank. Okay. We're all good then. Okay, but uh, but to go back to what Timmy was saying, yeah, I did know that about, and you actually, uh, uh, I have to thank you for it, um, and Chainlink for that matter, for me sticking to my game plan. I'm a real big, firm believer of like, have a game plan, fuck it, stick with it. Like Steffi was saying, I buy fear. I get excited, I will fucking sell things and, and make things move so I can buy other people's bloodshed. Uh, that's when I wanna be investing and spending my money. Not when people are, you know, for me, like you guys were saying, if you're filming now, what the fuck have you been guys doing? We've, we've been here putting on content about this stuff for a long time. Like shit, you had your, you had your moments, but, um, no, to go back to what Timmy was saying, I remember checking out and going to try to stake my link. And it was like, I couldn't do it for whatever reason. I just, I forget what it was. Maybe it was like that the time frame got ate up and it was like not available. And I was like, good. Cause I don't want to fucking stake this anyway. I just want to try it. But then, so like, that's what, stopped to me but i absolutely love that feature i love that feature about chainlink yeah and also real quick just very big picture perspective everything chainlink has done since genesis is unlike any other web3 project and i think that's for a reason they have came in from the start with a business mindset i actually believe sergey nazarov is satoshi nakamoto or was part of the team that made bitcoin so they've been have they've had their head in this game for a long time so putting a cap on the amount of staking yeah, he he denies it, but yeah, he he's definitely uh, he's involved somehow. He's definitely suspicious for it for sure. I'll, I'll give everyone my one biggest piece of evidence. He's smart Chainlink. enough for it. Chainlink.com started as smartcontract.org, and it was registered by Sergey before Bitcoin was ever launched. So, anyways, um, everything about Chainlink is fundamentally different in that it is meant to be sustainable, not degeny, and makes sense. So, like that staking cap is just one of many things you'll see as you explore Link that remind you of like TradFi or Web2 systems that aren't just Wild West open, anyone can do anything. It's like decentralized in all the important areas, but centralized and organized like a real business in others. Hey, real Sandy, quick. you were saying? Oh, um, yeah, I just, I just want to finish. I wanted to finish my thought. Um, this whole thing about DGENs, you know, there's good things and bad things about DGENs. DGENs are like the Mongol army. You know, they want to do something, they will go and do it. You know, they'll just take over. They're powerful. But how they go about it and what they're trying to do is not always great. And the other thing I wanted to say is, 
I felt that osmosis was going to be really awesome. So I got in there super early and it went up to like $10, $11. And I had so much fun with that. And then came around um, OmniFlix, which, tender, you know, Tendermint Timmy is talking about how Chainlink is different. You know, they're about showing the value and they're doing things different. And that's, that's how I felt about OmniFlix blockchain. And people don't even realize they've been sleeping on it. These people could fucking put on the Oscar show better than the fucking Oscar show and ticket it and pay it. Preach it, Sandy. Preach. Yes, they've already done it. And, and they didn't even release their token. So for people, you know, that you said everybody's late, it's not late. Flix is available. This is not financial advice. This is fucking life advice. I've put my life into Cosmos. And, and everything I've said about OmniFlix has come true and their video platform, they don't even care what blockchain you're on. So there's going to be a Mongol of army of creators from all blockchains coming to OmniFlix and you can tip them through the IBC, but it has to turn into a Flix. So guess what? At the end of the day, it's Flix that's dripping out of that token, uh, that hose that wherever it's going. So I just wanted to throw that out there and yeah, say, and they, yeah, they, Chainlink is awesome, yeah, the, and this is cool, too. Flix's team has stuck around during the bear market. They've held spaces. They couldn't continue to create content. Yeah, so it, it, it's a legit team for sure, Sisla and whatever. Um, uh, really, really quickly, not to deviate too far from the point, but um, what Timmy kind of said about staking was wrong in regards to the fact that it's never gone to general access for version 0.1. It actually did get to um, open at general access, and it was open for around six hours. And that was the first iteration. I just want to make that correction. Oh, okay. Good call out. <laughs> That's like one of those actually comments. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it did. <laughs> um, Still cool. somewhat my well, point, though, only, right? It was only six hours. Well, there's only two iterations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's only two iterations. It's all good. I don't want to. If there was like five or it's, whatever. The staking's popular. When it opens up the window, like, no question about it, it's popular. That's for sure. Damn sure. Every time it's been. So we'll see. Uh, and hopefully, like, as some new projects and new nodal networks come on online, that, like, you see, um, yeah, more staking opportunities, and that'd be awesome. Because actually, it takes more coins out of the general circulation as well. So even if you're not a staker, it sort of indirectly benefits you in a way, because it creates, like, holding demand and utility for the token. And so, like, yeah, staking and gas token functions are the two new, like, not new, but, like, these are the utilities of the link token, which... To be fair, like to the to the people that like were upset about Chainlink and their token or whatever, um, initially, like yeah, it was it didn't have any utility in the beginning. So they're building a lot of that out now, which is great because that's more than a lot of chains can say, quite frankly. Um, it's like actually bringing some value back to the coin, uh, <laughs> Adam. You know, like like what the fuck's going on? Um, you know, so that's an example where where that hasn't happened yet. But anyway, Pete, uh, you had your hand up. What's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me up. Um, so, uh, what what's your opinion on the Link BTC chart? I mean, it looks pretty devastating. You guys look look at that pair at all, or is it just devastating? Yeah, it looks it looks super bullish to me. Like, what do you mean? Like, I look uh, at that. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely had a it definitely had a uh, it definitely had a uh, a failed breakout, which you look for a breakdown for which you look for for reversals. I mean, I could definitely see the reversal pattern. On so the, uh, on the weekly, I, I don't know how much of this is bias from the link community slash a meme, 
but there is definitely some legitimacy to it. Like I've been watching for three years now and there's no way it's a coincidence. The meme and the thing people always say is that Chainlink is so important that Bitcoin's price is used to manipulate it. So time and time again, and a lot of these times I bet it's a coincidence. I don't think it's, I don't totally buy the conspiracy theory angle, but if you just pay attention to both charts and or the, the, link usd chart and the btc usd chart you'll see that time and time and time again whenever link has been about to break out of an important range or climb over an important fib level btc tanks it takes a tank out of nowhere that doesn't look like it's um, powered by any kind of technical analysis so and i somewhat believe it because i think link is the most important project in crypto so to kind of control its price let web 2 and you know large players accumulate the token at a low price they ensure it doesn't go on a crazy run by nuking btc whenever it's so so the question i okay so here's another question is what was the price of link the last time btc closed a daily candle at fifty thousand? that's a good question would not i don't i don't know 100 percent if link's gonna like you know i don't look at these altcoins with usd pairs yeah, let, so let me let me kind of go over the link chart a little bit better. So I've I've been around Link a long time. I traded it um, the last cycle. Um, I got into it like after it had its first giga pump to about twenty bucks and pulled back. So I wasn't in it at the very beginning, like back in 2017, 2018, But I I kind of got in, you know, as the sort of like Bitcoin cycle proceeded. Now remember, uh, Link started. Um, we're talking about like. Yeah, I made December a December 2017. It had I a price. I was buying Link at 30 cents, 40 cents instead of Ethereum at $30. So Yeah, so so but back That in, was a mistake in, buying Link instead of Ethereum. But back in December um like back in December of like 2017, you had basically um Link at basically zero value, right? It was like 0. 0.00001, like four zeros followed by one. And this is back in December 2017. That was after it's like initial coin offering and then it sort of dump afterwards from that amount you went to like and this is like relative to btc so it was like um i don't know like 102 sats essentially <laughs> like and then at the top um it was at basically um like sixteen thousand sats right on the btc chart something like that so obviously with that giga run-up like you were going to have some selling right you're going to have you know, chain link sell, you're going to have like, there was going to be some selling. And with like the 2021 top, um, you know, link did not keep up with BTC in terms of growth pattern. And BTC strongly reflects sort of like exponential sort of human viral growth. And very few charts on the planet, um, historically, outside of like Apple, BTC, and a few others, NVIDIA now, very few things have like giga exponential logarithmic growth charts of that you know capacity so what does link do it it sort of like uh, backtracks via the btc chart and then now like what you're at is like your two fib levels off the bottom and that's where sort of like this initial resistance comes in but here's the thing you have a gigantic sort of like what do you call it like w pattern or inverse head and shoulders on the link btc chart to me going into alt season as btc is strong the the probability that at this moment not for the whole life of you know um link but at this moment the odds of outperforming btc are quite high in fact it has outperformed btc 
since like, let me see, what was the date? Um, basically the summer of 2023. So I bought this coin at the sort of like giga bottom at like $7, $8. And I bought it even as low as five back when the FTX crashed into the bottom of that moment. And I've been waiting for like, I don't know, a year and a half here. It kind of went up, it went down versus BTC. And now it's sort of finally getting ready to break. But remember when all coins break, this would be cycle two, really, for, Ethereum, for, for Link. It wouldn't be like cycle one for Ethereum back in 2018, where, you know, um, you know and then it dumps, right? And then, then you have another cycle two for Ethereum, the big cycle, which was 2021 pump. And then this would be like the second pump of Ethereum. Now, if the market values Link like it did Ethereum in, in that time frame, which it may or may not, by the way, like who knows? Like fundamentals oftentimes don't necessarily matter. Network effects and virality and all of these things are not like immediately measurable and probably doesn't have the virality of Ethereum. And there's a lot of competitors in crypto now compared to back then, right? So like there's a lot of dilution of liquidity. But if you just look at the Link BTC chart, you have to ask yourself when it comes to any coin, can it actually beat BTC um, like during a bull market? What you have to ask is, and can it actually get new highs on Link BTC? How many actually coins on this planet have actually done this, right? ETH has done it, but not very many things have actually accomplished this. So yeah, if you are sort of like BTC Maxi, your goal is to to stack Sats, then no, like most things on you know will have their run versus BTC. There'll be big winners for a short period of time, and they'll bleed versus BTC over the long run because they're just not that big of a deal. Like they're just pump and dump sort of, right? So if I were to look at the landscape of crypto at this moment, say, wait a minute, like how many of things are not pure pump and dumps? How many of them have legitimate teams? How many of them have a reason to possibly run versus BTC? Like, you know, if Adam had a lot more use cases in the Cosmos ecosystem, probably. Does it have enough mimetic effect at this moment? No, nobody's fucking talking about it. It's irritating me. So is Adam gonna run like, even though I have plenty of Atom, is it going to run like I think Chainlink can? I think the answer is no, because the reason why is because nobody's talking about it. And if you don't have that hype cycle, hype is where the tops come in. Uh, utilities where the bottoms come in. Always remember this. Like, so are, is your coin being hyped properly? And if the yeah, answer that was is no. Great, I, yeah. I, I like to say that because I remember being on Coinbase in 2017 and there was a lot less options to buy. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So like you, you just clicked a button because you just saw something new and you're like, oh, I'm going to buy that, right? Yeah, You exactly. didn't really know. Even if you didn't know what the fuck it did, you, the reality is like there wasn't as many choices for the newbie. Now there's so many choices. Yeah. Well, now that, everybody's, you know, now everybody's buying proxies of Solana's network. Right, exactly. So, oh, yeah. look, Solana ran. So therefore I'm going to buy Helix or therefore I'm going to buy yeah. Bonk or whatever else. Whatever's, right? on, whatever's on, you know, and then you have the ordinals and now you have doginals and you have all these. There's just... It's a much more uh, crowded. Yes, it's much process. more. Exactly. Yeah. Liquidity is being fragmented. It'd be the way yep. to look at it. And, and that's the, why the I thing think that's why I think looking at link and I like none of this is um, this. is These are all just beanie babies. Right. Like that, to me, there's just beanie babies looking yeah. at link, looking at link uh, on the BTC chart. It just, you know, yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't be a large allocation because 
you're, you're, you're essentially what you're hoping is a, a full reversal pattern, which it does have, which it could play yeah. out. My, my, my gamble here, Pete, just for full disclosure, my gamble here is that among the few projects that can actually um, like have a gainer on the link B, on, on the BTC chart, I think link is one of those few. Yeah, I think so too. I think link so it, this doesn't have anything to do with. Yeah. Um, it, and but BT on BTC charts, I would agree with you. A vast majority of things otherwise do not actually. Yeah. Um, they'll have and their then first if you're cycle. It, and then if you're trading an asset like yeah. Link, the other problem is now you're going to have to pay taxes on it, or at least in America. And you could get the same. You could get the same uh, appreciation on just like high, high risk Bitcoin miners like. I've been in Terra Wolf, I, Clean Spark. Uh, you yeah, know, I've got a, I've got a little bit of. Do, like, I've got a little I bit just, of Terra Wolf. I've got a little bit of, uh, yeah, miners and things. I've got some Riot. All of those are up already for sure. Well, they're going to keep B going up because of the new accounting. This is why I wanted to. Yeah. Because of the new accounting, just like Clean Spark did it almost a double, because of the new account, the new FASFA, what Michael Saylor fought for. Um, they're able to report all the Bitcoin. They're, these mayor's going to go to America, go to a hundred dollars a share. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, the same way, the same way, um, the miners are a leveraged bet on BTC. Yeah, alts. The farther you go down the market cap list, are a leveraged bet on sort of like the general market and BTC as well. So like, yeah, you can definitely make money in almost anything. I think like, but just specifically like, why do I get, why did I buy like more chain link than anything else? It's not because I have the absolute highest upside in it. Don't, don't mistake that. It's because where it's priced is now relative to its consolidation range of five to 10 bucks, the downside risk here, especially going into a bull market is so relatively low that I can in put USD. a lot of yeah. money in. Yeah, like I only can put in money in and make oh. like a five x, and I don't have to be risking very much, and I could but that, make but more than only, most of the people in the space. But that's only in USD. You should never trade alts with the USD pair. That's my opinion. Well, uh, now, well, now, now, granted, like remember, I, I've been in BTC since like the, the, the dinosaurs roamed the earth, so it's like I don't touch my BTC anymore. But that's not where the oh, okay. Well, it's also funny that's a little bit different that. conversation. It's also funny you say that, Pete, because that's been a huge shift in uh, like I've been in Web3 since the beginning. And just due to the way exchanges were set up and the lack of stable coins, the pairs everyone tracked and followed, the ones with the most volume for altcoins were always the BTC pairings on Binance. But the whole market has kind of moved away from that. People don't really set up bots based on the like algo bots based on the BTC chart anymore. That's not where the main volume is. I get what you're that's saying. If Most you have of the volume the is versus Tether now. You're correct. Yeah. So I get your attitude and agree with it of like, you know, the US dollar is what we're trying to get away from. Why why measure stuff against it and not Bitcoin? But it's also just not reality, just right? Until my... the majority of the world is accepting Bitcoin for payments of things, USD is still what matters to no, be no, measured. I, I, I get all that, sir. Yeah. I, my 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 the sentence was I don't do technical analysis on USD pairs. Mm. I, I would urge you I to do it on both. I would I would I pull up any coin you own, put have no. a BTC chart or and a USD chart because there's leverage plays being exerted on both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't do leverage trading, but no, I'm not saying you do, but like there are yeah. others that are doing it, right? That's what yeah. matters. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So therefore you have to if you look at both, you'll notice resistance occurs on both the USD pairings and Bitcoin pairings, especially, especially, especially for larger market caps. 
Especially when they line up. Like if you ever see a resistance zone or trend line or support zone or anything, that's yeah. They usually they usually line up part pairs. Yeah. Do you think making an extra ten percent or fifteen percent above Bitcoin's uh, earning capital appreciation is worth the additional risk? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't. I was actually going to weigh in and say, Sefi was saying he doesn't own a bunch of link because he thinks it's highest return multiple. He does it because X Y Z. I'm in the same boat. I don't own a bunch of link because I think it's the one that's going to have the biggest X multiplier. It's just me personally. I am more confident in Chainlink at least existing and surviving more than any other crypto, even Bitcoin. So for me, it's not about getting 100x in a year. It's just knowing that that money is not going to zero. So you're essentially saying that Chainlink, in your thesis, offers a better store value than Bitcoin. Yes. Bitcoin is still... I don't think Bitcoin's going anywhere. But Link's not a commodity. Yeah, Bitcoin's only use case relies on people agreeing it is what it is, right? Yeah, but a they security, want to use can't, a security can't provide store value. Yeah, that's reasonable. Right. That's, so you, yeah. can't, you can't define but Link as a store value. To, to the extent that, like, say, for example... Because Link is a security. My, my biggest fear is they're going to shut the exchanges down and then everyone's going to have all their money trapped. Link, in particular, has been extremely careful from the beginning. Link will not be labeled a security. They have gone above. No, it, and in no. fact, it hasn't been. It Like, when the SEC went after they everybody else, and they, and they went after Coinbase, and they listed a bunch of coins, like Adam and they others, list Link. they, they, they did the not right powerful put friends. Link on that list. They have the right powerful people, friends. Have you guys yeah. noticed that you've never seen a single piece of marketing, whether it's an ad on a website or even just like a YouTuber being sponsored by for Chainlink? Like they do not promote their coin whatsoever. Like they, they do not target Web3 audiences. They don't talk about people buying it. They it's very the only reason Sergey never Link, talks about price either, by the way. Yeah, never. The only reason people hear about Link is from other Link Marines. Yeah, no, I, I, I think Link's a great. Uh, listen, there's like four of them that I personally sign off on, and it's links one. I, I'd sign off on Link before Ethereum. So you know that's how. Yeah, Link, Link has a broader general use case than Ethereum. Um, yeah, so remember, Chainlink is, a... is not a blockchain. That's the important thing to remember here. Right. Yeah, and so it's therefore infinitely scalable so long as people adopt the protocol. It would be very di- similar to like if people inc- uh, adopted TCIP of the internet, right? Country after country kept adopting TCPIP, and now we have the modern internet. It'd be a very similar thing, except that TCIP doesn't have a gas token, and so there's no way to monetize the internet exactly. So a lot of times, so what happened with the internet is most of the monetization happened with products built on the internet, such as, for example, uh, a Facebook or whatever. Um, so most of the giga money was made on monetizing the consumer directly, not so much on infrastructure. Um, Chainlink's a little bit different in that, like, to create a glue for the financial system to connect SWIFT and DTCC and blockchains and all these other things, like, they, they've they now created, like, this universal gas token idea so that you can monetize the network properly so that the node operators can get paid and therefore, like, you know, there's no reason to have it shut down. Um, even BTC, like, hasn't exactly solved the the problem of tail emissions, for example, once, you know, those run out. And so nobody cares about them until later. But there are some blockchains, take, for example, Monero, when they forked and re, like re, 
modified their chain to use RandomX, they actually included a tail emission when they did that. And so uh, when the all of the coins of XMR are soon to be mined, by the way, they're almost finished mining, uh, then you will have, um, or maybe they're finished mining already. I'm not sure. It's close. Wait, I thought, You'll I thought be... Monero had infinite. Like it gets closer no. to zero emissions, but it never gets to zero. No, th sure. there's tail emissions there is what the change was, is my understanding. So like basically, like, oh, there's there a the point where, yeah, it's not, it's no longer, it's not, in, well, it's infinite in the sense that there's tail emissions, but the right. actual mineable coins, like the regular that's mining right. ceases. Oh, I didn't it, know they did it that. dries up. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they went to Random X a few years ago and stuff. So, and then Zephyr copied all of that. So Zephyr is a hard fork of, it's a friendly fork of the the current Monero code, and they added some other features into it. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, like all of these things, like the sustainability long term. The reason why Timmy's talks about like why this might, and when when like hardcore link people are like, you know, is this theoretically bigger than a BTC, it would be very similar to saying like, you know, what is the market cap of gold today? Let's say it's like, you know, 10 or 15 trillion, whatever that number is. And then what is the, the, the value of all of the financial system of the world, plus all derivatives and everything? And, um, you know, what, what size can these things get to? Um, that's why like things like Ethereum, things like um, Chainlink, things that can be gigantic networked computer system that have direct utility. Um, the basic mantra of Chainlink is like connect everything to everything. And there's a value there. What is the world going to value? And when that? he says everything, he means off-chain things too. That's probably yes, a everything. big selling point. Yeah, all, all computing networks of any kind, including AI networks, privacy networks, uh, credit card systems, you, you name like the system. And the concept here is very similar to like what Swift does. It's very similar to what um, other sort of like messaging protocols do in like TCIP, TCPIP. The idea is to connect any computer to any computer um, that in particular like deals in financial value, but ultimately could be more things. Like for example, let's say you have like storage networks or say for example, uh, AI networks and you need to figure out how to pay those people now you can do so via if they connect to ccip they have access to all the different liquidity layers that other chains have connected to ccip and then you could basically trade anything for anything and pay for anything with anything right that's the interesting thing like crypto you have to think of as like a gigantic spider web it started with btc and the webs just go out from there it doesn't mean that like just because you know btc is the first um you know store of value it does not mean that like all other software on this universe is useless or something. So that's where I find I take yeah, beef. It's like everyone should buy Palantir instead of. Uh... Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> everyone well should buy my, that too. I mean, I've done well with of... my Palantir stock, by the way. Yeah, I I, yeah, I definitely bet did. on I, I I bet on AI killing everybody for sure. So I yeah. bought that because I'm I'm like I'm I'm an asshole like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I, I, I have get it. I, I have I have no uh, problems with uh, defense technology yeah. i'd rather have it than someone else in fact my son's my son's like thesis getting into college on his applications was uh, defensive ai systems um to counter uh, offensive systems and like anyway but yeah and, <laughs> and it, he's gonna be and that's it, it, and that's basically the same price as link and you could own you know well i don't know the, i don't know what the market i don't know the market cap of that is but anyway the thing million? is 55? Yeah. So, it's, it, so, yeah. The, whatever it is. But the point is, um, the 
so that that's kind of the the general case here for Chainlink. Um, I, I do think like if you ask the vast majority of people in crypto, I think they don't know what it does. I didn't fully know what it did until I sort of just deep dived into it more recently um, over the past six months. And that's the funny thing about bull markets. They get you excited about doing research and shit. In a bear market, you're just bored and kind of like whatever. Um, and some people keep researching during the bear market. Some people don't. Um, and some of us get busy doing other things or whatever. Um, and some of it is like when, when content producers like YouTubers or people that like to play on Twitter spaces like myself, what happens is, is like when you show up during a bear market, nobody comes like you, you have a Twitter spaces, like three people are over there and me and yeah. Timmy and somebody else are chit chatting. So like, we don't tend to do as much of these. And then when you start having spaces and whatever, people start coming into the space, they tell you about different coins, they tell you about what they do and you learn quickly. And then you go research them yourself if it sounds credible. And the whole thing becomes, the bull market is like a big hype cycle of everyone just getting excited again, really. And the key to these markets is if you're going to be in a bull market, uh, be in it very early and get your friends and family in it relatively early. So don't, what usually happens is your bag is going to 10x and then you're going to like, oh, um, hey, mom, you should be getting into crypto or you're going to tell your friends because you, what's, what it is at that point is you're just being like your exuberance is like rubbing off for everybody because you want to talk about your bag or you want to talk about how rich you are. And there's a tendency for people to talk about this stuff to their friends and family when it's way too high. Uh, and then they tell their friends and of course, and it just goes haywire. And of course, like the YouTubers do the same thing. So people research crypto and they see videos everywhere, whatever. Um, but we're way, well, this, we're this way early right now. This is the example of like, what was the uh, dot com or whatever, when the waitress was giving stock advice, you knew the top was in. <laughs> right, right. Your Uber driver is pitching you chain link. Yeah. It's probably time to sell. Yeah, it's um, probably time to rock out of that. But yeah, anyway, it's the usual market dynamics. But I think like if you're going to gamble in crypto and, you know, for to be fair, it's the price action is all a gamble. Um, you might buy Chainlink at 20 and it dips down to 15. Chainlink is notorious, by the way, for having a decent looking chart. And then someone fucking dumps on you and it drops 50%. So like, I, I don't even like recommend what yep. price to buy things. Like I don't even like on most of my charts and things, I don't even tend to put a whole lot of like, you know, targets and stuff because the reality is someone's going to buy it. Let's say someone's going to buy it. Um, I remember like when Chainlink last season, you know, it ran to like 20 bucks. It pulled back to like 750. It's like, ooh, that's quite the pullback. And then it ran back to about um, like $16. And like, oh, this looks like a pretty good entry. It looks like it's going to break high again, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you get a dump like December 2020 and it goes down to $8 again. I'm like, oh, shit. So I bought like at 15 or something. And then when it when it dropped to that level, I told my dad to get some. So he bought a bunch using his stock market account or what I mean, he he cashed out some stuff. He bought a bunch at like seven or eight bucks. And then ultimately we sold it when he developed leukemia at about fifty bucks because he had uh, we wanted to sort of manage his estate a little bit and he it was a new time. And um and then he used that to pay for my son's um like college or whatever. So it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, like, but it was kind of a rare thing. Luckily, he's, it's not that funny. He's cured of leukemia at this point and he's done fine. Oh, that's good. Um, so that's really good. But basically, like, that was my first foray into just gambling on Chainlink. And that was just kind of bull market vibes and kind of whatever. And, um, you know, it was just lucky that we just happened to sell the top. It wasn't any special technical analysis or any shit. And this time, though, like, I picked it up after the FTX crash. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, like I wasn't paying attention to Chainlink much. I figured it was a, just a trade last time. Okay, Oracle's great, hype is great. And this time when it dipped down below like you know, 10 bucks, 
back after the crash. This is like in 2022. I was like, all right, let's grab some. I'll ride it for a quick $21 jump. Maybe it'll have a reflexive pump, and it never did. So I became a bag holder for the last two years because like, I bought a bunch, and it just sat there. And it kept going to like 10 bucks, and then 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 5 bucks, And it just stayed there. And then I bought all those dips as well. And then I didn't even do any further research. I just figured it wasn't going to go to zero. It was a good enough ecosystem and a good enough project that like, I could just store a value in it. Remember, store a value is when you buy at the bottom. Store of value is not when you buy at the top. I don't care which coin it is. I don't care if it's Bitcoin or anything else. If you buy the top, then you have an opportunity cost that you have lost, and you're not storing anything. You're just losing money is what you're doing. Because if you buy Bitcoin at like the very top and it goes down for two years, you could have had something else that made you money, like yield on you know, your, your dollar, or you could have made like whatever. And the reality is there's an opportunity cost there, and the store of value concept is not as simple as saying. So to me, store of value is at the, the bottom problem. of coins levels. The I don't disagree with you at all. I'll just go in, you know, everybody always has two voices in their head when they're thinking this kind of thing. So for me, I've obviously thought about that. Like when Link had its long drawn out bull market and kind of stable price from the time that started till the end, I, I thought about that. And in retrospect, I probably should have sold some Link, done some trading, if not just so I could have accumulated more Link before it took off, right? But for me, I think... And probably a lot of other people, there's that other little voice in your head that goes, yeah, but whatever you sell Link for, like, might do worse than Link or go to zero. At least just holding it in Link, it might go down now, but I have that long-term con- confidence. So it's really, like, I'm not True. disagreeing. I-, I think the same way you do, but I'm sure there's some people in the audience thinking that. So let me be your voice. Like, it's tough. There's always those two two voices in your head. I think that way, I think that way about BTC. Like that, that's how I feel about Bitcoin. It's like, okay, well, see, I've always had 80, 20%, I've always had 80% Bitcoin, 20% everything else. Now it's gotten to 90, 10. Like it's not, it's got even, it's gotten even tighter. And a lot of it just has to do with all the fraud. So what usually happens with me is, so like when I allocate initially, so let's say it was Apple stock back in, you know, after the dot-com crash, this was like, I think I bought most of it at like 2002. So like, you know, at that time and all the way through about 2012, I believe, the only thing I owned, by the way, I'm not kidding. Like, I didn't buy anything except Apple stock. You can imagine how I did. Um, yeah, so, you killed it. Like, so, so I killed it and I killed everybody. In other words, like I beat everybody. Why? Because like I beat every hedge fund, everyone else, because my conviction with that particular company was very high for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, initially it was quite a gamble also. But... Um, but like for whatever reason, I was like a you know Apple Maxi you know super freak and just buying too much Apple stock and my my wife would be like why don't you diversify and whatever else and so I didn't and then like when BTC came along that was my other sort of like you know giga conviction thing I had a few others as well along the way Mastercard Visa were big ones for me uh, I got the IPOs of those I missed the IPOs of like Facebook um, not that I. Like I faded it, I should say. I didn't miss it. I knew it was happening and I knew it, all that, but I, I, I sort of faded it. I faded Tesla. So there's definitely some things I missed big time that I shouldn't have. My wife was right. I was wrong. I should have just bought fucking everything she said, honestly. Like anything she, she says, oh, buy this. She's usually right. She has like a finger on the pulse of the water cooler talk or whatever. Anyway, so like, but um, the, the interesting thing is like, so the way I think of these risk assets is if you want to have things on the lower end of the, like the, the further end on the risk curve, you're getting things that you hope are going to like really, really perform over a 10 or 20 year time period of like 
you know, 10,000% gains. So you don't think of these things as like, okay, well, I'm buying link necessarily for store of value. I, I do think it has a store of value now in the sense that like it has a consolidation for two years in the five to $10 range. The odds it's going to go below that are substantially reduced after a consolidation of that type. Right. But I, but at the same time, like, um, you know, I'm not getting it for story value purpose. I'm getting it for a certain, what I believe might be a certain re return as far as growth. Uh, the same way that like, you know, am I buying Apple stock today? Like you could argue that it has a store of value function. In fact, it has for many people, but it's relative dividend yield is not that great. Here. The problem is the problem now is that when you sell link, you're buying fiat. The, That's the problem. Yeah, but so what? Yeah, I can buy anything with fiat. I mean, like I, yes. Yeah, so what? I mean, but it doesn't matter. Not like really. You're, you're you're taking. Okay. Right. If you're rich enough, nothing matters. By the way, like I'm gonna point this yeah, out. Like, I, no, I understand that. Like I can I, buy I anything that. with anything. And but if you're the like, really rich one, but, but if you're the really rich one, your advice across channels is not relatable. Well, it's no, relatable but, but in the sense that I'm just pointing out how you get here. I'm pointing hold out on, you yeah. To Seppi's other previous point, though, too, like even if you do want to think about it that way, Pete, which I do sometimes, like selling Link is. It, it's not like you think about it. That's the factual what's going on. That's the order. That's well, the order language is something we invented, so it's all how you interpret and think oh, about it. But hey, come on, no, bro. point being, are, I get, I get what you're saying. Smart. Let me finish. I get what you you're saying. You guys are super smart people. Okay, I get what you're saying, but even if that is the case and how saying? you want to think about it, then if you think Link's price is going to go down relative to fiat for a certain period of time, then why no, do you want to no. buy fiat with your Link? No, sir, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the price, when, when the gentleman says that Link can't go below $5, what is $5? Now you have to add in what is, see, like right now, Bitcoin should, Bitcoin, Bitcoin needs to be at what, 82,000 for adjusted inflation? It's not even when it breaks all time high on the USD chart. Yeah, I it's mean, really I, not an all time high. I fully get what you're saying. Your, your, your point is okay. that Bitcoin's a good asset. No one's arguing with that. No, 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 yeah. no, sir. My point yeah. is Link. Link's, Link's $20 price today is really what Link was at at 32. Well, it, but, well put it this way. Are you saying? No, or what? Yes, that's a, the problem with Link is that when you convert back to USD, no, but you don't have to if convert you sold, back to USD if you don't want to. You can convert back to Bitcoin. What are you going to convert to? You can swap to Bitcoin direct. You know what I kind of want to make? I want to make that's fine. I want to make a simple site where you just put in any <laughs> token ticker you want, and what it does is it charts it again. Yeah. Not USD, not Bitcoin, but. What's what's that one asset people always use as like uh, the inflation tracker, like a can of Campbell's tomato chicken noodle soup or something? Yeah, it's a McDonald's right? menu. Yeah, McDonald's yeah, menu. a big well, yeah. but yeah, or just the CPI or something. I would love to see, but that's not very. CPI accurate. sucks. Okay, okay. Yeah, McDonald's menu. Yeah. Here's the value. My dad said, wherever you are in the world, a worker for one hour of wage, he has to be able to buy a meal. So whatever you're going to convert that to, if it's McDonald's or whatever, his one hour of labor has to equal that meal. That is the value that minimum wage uh, used to mean in the old days. Hmm. Like I, I, that's a, that's a I like that. I'm not trying to be argumentative. My only point is that today, at Link being at twenty dollars, is not the same as Link being at twenty dollars in two thousand and. 
2020. 2021, whenever the crypto, whenever the damn, I can't, I, mean, I get the, I get that whole time. In my 2018, remember, it was worth pennies and it's now worth 20 yeah, I was buying it. I bought yeah. it. I was buying it at so 30 cents. So you yeah. did really well and there's no. I did, yeah. And that's just the first, that's just a first cycle asset. So it, and I say still that have a little bit of like, it's very easy to, for these things to put in new higher highs, by the way, if they're good projects. But it's also very easy for it to end up looking like Litecoin too. Mm, I don't think so. Like, this is not Litecoin. Litecoin I understand that, but I'm going to disagree with you there a, on, the, on that. Like, and the by the way, Litecoin does really like well Litecoin. if you buy the very bottom. It beats the, most. Litecoin's stocks. chart is. If you go to, it, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that link on the BTC pair will never break the all-time high. Mm, oh, you're absolutely wrong. That's going to be. I, I okay. think you're incorrect. I think it could break it within six Guarantee months. Guarantee you. I think it break it within. Six It'll months. never break the BTC pair all time high. It could do Wait, it this year. We'll see. I think you haven't mooned enough coins to we'll notice see. how these things can move. They, it can very much do so if it's good enough. What, so it. what's the price right now? Right now you're looking at a all time low in the BTC pair, basically. No, it's it's the gone up two fib levels case. off the low. I'm looking at the monthly chart. I don't look at yeah, I don't exactly. know the time frame. Look at the monthly chart. No, that's correct. So if you do, if you draw the fibs for uh, Zef beats, I'm sorry, um, with uh, Link BTC, then let me pull uh -huh. these up real quick. I'll bring them up to specifics. So I have that. I, sort of you know that you know the spike. So, I'm so we are about. we are at two two fib levels, two retracements off the bottom. Um, so we're at the point. Uh, what do you call it? The I don't have we're the number. We're currently two x the recent bottom in SAT. As well. That's correct. That's correct. And then. So, like, to move up from wick. here, yeah. So, wick. so a doubling There's of a large length, wick. Hold up a second. So, a, a, like, to get to um, ten thousand sats again, you're just over a two and a half x. Link can do a two right. and a so half x for, from these levels. It can do that within mm -hmm. the last time it moved from twenty to fifty was in about a two month time so, frame. So, I would so, put but, in but, April. so you're at fifty dollars. Uh -huh. By by this summer, I'm guessing we're at uh, past fifty bucks on Chainlink. Yeah, that's my right. that's and, my and, theory and my, here. And then the candles on that chart, you would be at like a thirty eight percent retracement from all time highs. So you're, I don't think it's ever going to break that. No, that so a four a four X from here, if if BTC doesn't mm -hmm. move up simultaneously, obviously. It's going to. Well, BTC will be moving up. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the, will it actually grow faster than that? If you buy it, let's just start over from scratch. I think you're mixing like different things up here. So if I bought BTC uh, like closer to the price to mine this last uh, last year, and the price I bought BTC was at 18,000 all the way down to 15,000, scaling in larger all the way to the bottom. That was my, that's what I did. I did that at $3,500 BTC. I did that at 3,000 BTC and before that and before that. So the, the, like, this is not new to me in that sense. So but no, we trade the same exact way. I trade. I'm a revert. I'm a uh, revert to the mean trader as well. Yeah. I, well, no. What I, I do is I, I have buy orders all the same way. I just simply exponentially buy assets that can't go to zero all the way to the very bottom. It's that simple. Whether it's Exxon Mobil, whether it's whatever, like I, I just get them all the way to the bottom at larger and larger scale, and that's like the key to making money in this universe. Like you don't need to know anything else. You don't even have to have a job if you do this. I do my regular job as a physician. Everything. Like, you know, I'm off this week or whatever, but like, I, like, I don't quit my job because I like to do it, but like, 
there is a simple way mathematically to handle assets that are likely to not go to zero. And that's just simply buy them exponential on the way down. So I did that with BTC. And what I did with my Bitcoin is, so in my trading bag, not in the, not in the bag that I sort of like have set aside, like I have a bunch of Ethereum and Bitcoin that I just have set aside. I don't talk about them. I don't talk about them in the spaces. I don't discuss all of that. I don't talk about trading them. But on the little bit that I bought to trade in BTC, what I did with it was I got it at those levels and then I sold it at 27K and I bought Link at $7 again with the, with the growth. So if you look at what I've made in total sats now, if you count it in sats today, I've actually beat Bitcoin already. Because what you do is you ride the meat of the move, like, and you get the quickest like doubling that you can get. And then usually what happens is the return on investments higher in uh, alts. So if I were to sell my link now into Bitcoin right now, I would actually have more Bitcoin than I would have had I just simply held, B like bought BTC from the, like, and held it the entire time. Does that make sense? Like, so you can trade your way to more Bitcoin, or you can trade your way to more. Of yeah, I, I don't. I, I, you know, listen. I don't know if you pay taxes on your stuff or not, but uh, I, I do believe the capital gains taxes bite into that, and the fees bite into it. Yeah, so, I do, and I, mean, I have the highest, my... the highest tax rate as well, so that matters. Right. And so, ultimately, though, if I'm paying long-term capital gains, I'm fine for the most part. It's still fifteen percent. So it's still uh, no, it's more like twenty on your twenty. Yeah, still long -term. Twenty yep. percent that you got to pay on your earnings. See, that's yeah, the only thing. It's like most people can't do that, man. I'm not most people. Most though. I'm, people. Not, I'm just pointing out like what you have to do if you want to get sure, rich. I'm not pointing out what most people are doing. Like, like most yeah, people are just not going to make my money. That's most people I've also that. noticed most no, people most should take a hundred dollars and buy eighty dollars worth of Bitcoin and twenty dollars worth of Chainlink. Yeah, most just, people should do a lot of things. They should learn their own taxes. But that's what they should do. When yeah, you when you hear should. strategies from bigger players who you know have more money than you, whether it's influencers, Twitter people, even investments, you can still somewhat follow along with their strategy. You just have to scale the numbers back, right? So maybe they're putting yeah. a hundred thousand a month into twenty different assets. Okay, follow not the only scale your, not only scale your numbers back, Timmy, but also like what are you willing to invest in time? Because no, like, exactly. Keep, so I was going to say, track of you know, all this if, shit is not everybody. If you're following. Benefit. An influencer whose strategy maybe they show on YouTube is I pick 10 coins by this criteria and I invest X amount into each one. Okay, you look at your own situation and you go, okay, I can aim for time wise and money wise three projects that I continue to keep up on, invest in per month and a lesser amount, but I'll follow the investment strategy of this person who seems to have it figured. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just pretty much every type of investment advice or strategy or anything. His name is Bernie. Online. His name is Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. No, no, no. But just think about it like this. You will hear <laughs> just two types of investment advice, advice online. One from grifters who don't really know what they're doing and they're trying to sell advice because they don't know how to do it themselves. Or two, advice uh -huh. from people who have more money than you because they're doing well and their advice works. So you'll never find someone that's akin to your average Joe situation who's giving golden advice because they won't be an average Joe. So you can't just discount people's strategy and advice. Yeah, but, you're, but, you're, but you're, like, the, the extra like, earnings, the extra earnings that you're receiving is, unless you have large capital, is pretty fucking small. Mm, that's that's like, the thing. Like, that's that's the reason why I'm not telling my friends and family to buy Apple stock now, because the the, like, the if I have my kid and I'm like, oh yeah, go invest in Apple stock. Like, what is his ROI going to be at this point, right? Like, it makes yeah. like 
it makes sense that I bought it back in like, you know, 2002 and such, but does it make sense for, for him to buy that now? No, it makes sense. No, it makes sense for him to buy Palantir before it hits the S and P 500. Yeah. So like something like that or something like intuitive surgical or something like, yeah, yeah. yeah, There's plenty of things that are sort of like have a lot of growth potential still that I would probably prefer if I was young and I was starting out fresh. But the thing is, I'm not necessarily like, aping in my entire life savings into say, for example, Chainlink. Um, I have lots of things set aside. This is like, I could be spending 1% of my money and I could spend like the whole day on Twitter space talking about it. And you make, it makes it sound like I'm spending my life savings on it. That's not the case, by the way. I make that clear over and over again too. Like just because I talk about something a lot does not mean that uh, it means it should be your giga allocation for all time either. So it should be so basically because I, I can lose more money than most people in this room have over their entire lifetime, and you like, you know, so that yeah. and, I, and I would still be perfectly fine, right? So that it's a different thing for me, like, but I'm just you like, but you get a perspective of when there's people that move lots of money around, you do get a different perspective as far as like, especially in blockchain space and tech space, because like, especially in financial systems like a Chainlink or a Cosmos or whatever. Like if you'll notice that when you move lots of money around, you learn different things. And when you move small quantities of money around, you, you see like what kind of slippage problems you have. You see what kind of like uh, liquidity depth that there might be on central exchanges and stuff. So you get a different feel for the market when you have to do large buys and sells compared to when you're like a small fish in a big pond. So there are things you can learn from people that are sort of like you know, either whales or quasi whales or whatever you want to call it that like have a different perspective. Um, and I think like, uh, yeah, there's no, there's nothing wrong with like being say, for example, you know, a BTC maxi, but you know what? I've been around a long fucking time and you know what? I actually even have hedged against my BTC. You know what I bought? I bought IBM stock. <laughs> Why did I buy IBM stock? And you can go to my timeline and notice like about a year ago or so, I was telling people like, okay, like maybe look into IBM. Why? Everyone has forgotten about IBM, you know, Big Blue and, you know, the, the whole nine yards. They do cloud services. They have good revenue, but that wasn't the reason. The reason was because their Osprey um, processor was the sort of like leading quantum computing architecture. Um, and it's among the few companies, Google and um, uh, China and some of their companies and IBM, they're among the few companies with like credible quantum computing architecture. And quantum computing architecture is where, like, you know, if you're worried that BTC can go to zero, like, the reason you'd worry is because the number of qubits it takes to sort of wreck the Bitcoin network, we can reach that in quantum computing in approximately 10 to 20 yeah. years. So the, the reason yeah. why I bought IBM stock is because, like, that's a hedge against if, like, the, the world goes to shit, my BTC goes to zero for some reason, then IBM's going to go to, like, high multiples. Now... Having said that, like IBM's price at the time was really, really, really low because the stock market had been crashed. And I'm up 40% on my IBM stock, which is doing fine. And it has a good like 7% or 8% dividend when I bought it. So I'm making money every day and I can use that dividend but to buy Bitcoin or anything else I want. See, like there's a lot of tricks mm -hmm. you can use, but like it's not to say that I don't, I'm not a maxing anything in that like tech is very hard to predict. Tech is like, you can have all sorts of interesting theories about why Chainlink might do really well. And someone else comes up with something better like next week or something. But usually these kind of like operating system type plays, like take, for example, Apple or Microsoft, you didn't have to know which one was going to win. In fact, if you bought Apple and Microsoft back in the day, 
both of them have done fantastic, really, right? Like Microsoft, I think, has pulled ahead in market cap for Apple now. And you would have done great. Like, so when it comes to these operating systems, like in Chainlink, I would consider an operating system or a layer zero um, in the, for the financial system. Maybe they win, maybe they don't. But the point is like having some exposure in something with very high multiple upside is the reason I got into Bitcoin early. By the way, when, if you were like shilling Bitcoin 10 years ago, you were basically a scammer and you were whatever. So like the people that come in much later mm -hmm. tell me stories about like, oh, it's the safe play and whatever else. I'm like, uh, like, you know, I was called a scammer for years and years and years on other platforms. I wasn't on Twitter until like 2021. But like, like if Bitcoin's where it is now is because I shilled the motherfucking shit out of it. That's why. Like, you know how many posts I must have done? Like, I'm autistic in this way, like obsessively. I must have done like 10 posts a day on different platforms for like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of posts. Even on Twitter, look how many posts I have. It's like something absurd, like probably 50 to 70,000 posts just in the last year and a half. So like I, I post a bunch of bullshit a lot. And for Bitcoin, I like besides my own money going into it, like a lot of people, I must have like brought in like tens of thousands into BTC over that time period. Um, so I get it. Like I get the shill. I get the whole deal. Like, I, you know, like, you know, I bought a bunch of Apple, supported them and talked about their products and stuff for God knows how long I, I do like overmarry my bags to a definite certain extent, like <laughs> in the sense that like, I only want to buy a lot of something if I love it. And if I love it, I tend to think about it too much, which is, you know, probably a, a, a problem, um, you know, but like I, I, but that's what I enjoy about the space. I like, I like to be in love with tech, if that makes any sense. Um, so yeah, like, and when it comes to AI and other things like, you know, I like to learn about whatever new thing is happening. I like to invest in those things if it's, if the, if the numbers look right and whatever. And it's just a lot of fun, I think. And I think it's like, it keeps me young in a sense that, um, like, I don't want my brain to become like calcified. And I'm like, you know, uh, you know, I'm like just an Apple maximalist or whatever, or whatever else, right? Like, I think it's fine if some newcomers come and do big things and build new economies and stuff like that. So, uh, so like, there's the things that you invest in, like your 401ks and whatever that you do to kind of protect your wealth have maybe a value source that you can retire on all that stuff is great like so i think everyone should have a you know either a financial advisor or just read a lot or whatever and just make sure you're saving for for your retirement and like you know make sure that you have a backup plan you have life insurance and all these other fun things that like you know if something bad happens to you or your family uh, everything's all covered but then you go when you go into like crypto and stuff you're in the risk space you're in the not only the risk that something can go to zero, but you're in the risk that you're you're going to time the market wrong. You're going to buy something that's going to go down. You're going to get shaken out. You're going to sell something at the wrong price. You're going to get broke. So there's price risk. There's technical risk. There's fundamental risk. A lot of different risks that people should be aware and they of. Should, it, it, and they should learn. Uh, they should educate themselves on what grid trading is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, yeah, I've done, I've done entire spaces um, on grid trading, actually. Um, it's yeah. pretty cool stuff. It can be a good way. That's to the, yeah, it's a good way that's, to extract that's the, the way value I day trade. That's the way I swing trade. That's the way I DC. I mean, it's just the only way that it's the only way that you're going to be a winning trader is if you're yeah buying bottoms and selling tops. There's no other way to do it. And you know, yeah, grid trading. Uh, only, although, like, it depends on how narrow you set grids. That can have lots of tax consequences. So there's a, it's it's it yeah. can be it can be plus or minus. Well, not, there's also a lot by scalping. Yeah. I, when I say grid trading is just simply like, okay, I bought Bitcoin every five thousand dollars it dropped, I had a buy order. Sure, sure. Right. Which is fine. And then, yeah. 
Yeah, it, basically, not day trade the same way. You're not bot trading it that way. You're just doing it manually. No, yeah, I'm just even when I trade futures in the morning, it's the same thing. It's it's buying the the drop and then the opening range and selling into the rally. And, sure. Um, sure. You know, you just you, you, I always try to tell people this, and it sounds like you know it's very hard to meet authentic people who are successful in the markets. But I tell people this, never shoot your shot on one buy. A lot of people want to put everything in at one price. And, you know, no matter what you're buying, the right yeah. way of doing it is, is by little by little. Yep, it's reasonable. And then you yeah. build a nice position. You just build a decent position. Yeah, it's like position um, building. So it, that's why I say, like, yeah. one tactic is if you're new to all of this, if you have, like, maybe 20 to 50 different coins and stocks that you're watching, the beauty of that is like you could have a strategy where you just buy like what I recommend people do is like if it's new people, I'll be like, buy one share of whatever you think is interesting. Buy one and only one. Why do you do this? Because then you only buy it if it goes down. And you, you might say, well, what, what if it never goes down? I actually have stocks that have mooned quite literally and I have one share of it. And, I, and the rule is if it doesn't go down, I don't add to the bag. Yeah, I only add to the ones that that dip a bit that I have conviction in. So that way, like I have a list of things. There are certain things that go into the red at different times. Like maybe it's down 10%, 20% or whatever. And if it looks like it's a credible company, you know, Coca-Cola is not going out of fucking business next week. It's not a thing. Um, Exxon is not disappearing overnight. Then these are things that if they take a dip versus the rest of the stuff that you bought one thing of, then that might be the one I might add some to. And, um, you know, limiting my chasing over time and then um you know uh, you can add to your bags over time and just really really keep it light and have some cash flow if you have a lot of income like you have work income or dividend incomes or something else then you have a cash flow that you can say wait a minute like how would i get if i get one share of exxon mobil today's price and it goes down 10 percent, do i have enough to get two shares okay if i don't have enough to get two shares if it goes down 10 percent, i don't have enough to buy the first share either officially like that's kind of my thinking it's like if if you've over allocated, if you can't add as you go down, right, and and really all the way to the very theoretical bottom, wherever that might be, and that's my general sort of take on how to to sort of pick stuff up. And so I did that during the entire stock market of the last two years. I created a brand new sort of account because I wanted a vacation account, quite literally, where I want to take the dividends from the, that and just <laughs> go on vacation. I didn't want to mess with my other, you know. Um, funds and stuff. And that's exactly what I did. I just kept adding to high dividend earners all the way to the bottom. And, um, and they're doing great now. And I'm, the dividends are so high because, you know, the, the relative high dividends at the bottom of the stock market, you know, make it so that when the stock price comes up, it's very hard to get those high dividends. So you want to pay attention during when the stock market is absolutely wrecked. That was like COVID crash. That was like two Octobers ago. You had everything really down and you had plenty of good discounts. So it's not just crypto I play in. Um, anything that I see is like a wrecked chart, I'm happy to jump into. So when when someone says, "Hey, look, like Link's chart is wrecked," MPW Cephal. Yeah, look at MP Medical Properties. Yep, uh, I already I, I have it too. I, I bought it when it was like at five. I sold it, it was like ten. And I bought it again at like three something. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's breaking down there at three. Like all yep. the leads, all the reits are still wrecked. Wait, Seth, are you talking to someone? Yeah, to Pete over here. Like maybe oh, damn. I think my thing broke. I'm gonna pop back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure thing. Um anyway, but yeah, Pete, like, yeah. So I play in a little bit of stocks, playing crypto and stuff. And um, and I think like uh, 
it's good to be in everything at some level because if you're at a little bit of everything, what happens is you learn a lot more, a lot faster too. So like your bag when it goes down is a lesson and you don't learn that lesson until you, unless you own that coin. Like how many of you know what's happening with IBM today? Nobody. Why? Because you don't own any. So you have no idea. Like you don't have no incentive to pay attention. So I would say like the first share that you buy of something, think of it as tuition. And like you're going to get an education from that tuition. And it's probably better than what you're going to get by watching a bunch of YouTube videos. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, the market tells you what something is valued at. And if you don't own anything, what happens is, is you don't pay attention. So, you know, it's like the price of admission is like one token or one stock. And that is the price you pay for making sure you're paying attention to that thing. Because in your portfolio, you'll be able to sort all your different shit that you have. Oh, look, these are in the red. Those are not. Okay, great. Well, why is it in the red? Is you know, And then you start paying attention more. So yeah, a big part of learning is participation. Like these are not things they teach you in college. They don't teach you in business school. Like none of this trading stuff is taught in any sort of like university level thing, generally speaking. Um, you could go to a master's in business. They don't teach you this. So um, like dealing with financial markets, valuations and things of this nature is something that's a very specific subset of like people. And you can learn more about it if you want to. And if you're like, I don't have time for all that shit. You don't have to learn anything if you don't want to. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the financial advisor you go to necessarily knows this stuff either. A lot of those people manage other people's money because they can't get rich themselves. It's like kind of like, it's not automatic that just because like, they, so financial advisors generally will tell you positions that like they believe are safer for you, but they're not necessarily telling you positions that are necessarily like the higher long-term ROI. Yeah, Their job is to keep your money so they can rape you with fees. That's correct. That is correct. So they that's don't why, want you to have any volatility. That's where there's two things I don't do. I don't have a financial advisor and I don't have anyone do my own, do my taxes. I do both of them myself. So I know exactly how all the laws change. I know exactly what's going on. And um, yeah, it's that's my general take on this. And so like, I believe in order to sort of like, then, then this is, I think, helped me in crypto space because like, if you think about it, these are all financial applications that people are building. And if you want to recognize bullshit from a real project, like if you don't do your own taxes, you don't do your own accounting, you don't do your own uh, of any of these things, then what happens is, is you don't understand the product market fit of the various applications in crypto. So, you know, when I say that I think Chainlink is super interesting, it's because both like I've been involved with tons of Cosmos chains. I've seen how those have evolved. I understand Bitcoin white paper and Byzantine generals problems and all of those things, blah, blah, blah. And I understand the financial system. I also have a business and a commercial enterprise. So like I do, in fact, we just had a meeting yesterday and we have like an accounting system. We do our own bookkeeping and accounting for that using Oracle NetSuite. So I have a sense of like what is necessary to make a business run better. And I have a sense of like a little bit of a sense of like what I would be impressed with if I saw a new technology to facilitate my accounting or my taxes or my whatever. And so I look for that when I'm scanning the crypto space. Like, is there is there stuff going on in that project that is going to change the world or solve a problem? How are you going to know that if you don't know what the actual problems are? If you don't own a business, you don't do your own ledgers, you don't do your own accounting, your own taxes, what problem do you think you're going to recognize that they're going to solve that you know you're going to be able to invest in? So to me, like the chain link thesis, getting back to that was that I see a problem being solved in the form of CCIP, verifiable randomness, cross-chain NFTs. They're basically wanting to connect everything to everything. And when I see that, I see the next, you know, like 
the early Apple. I see the early Microsoft. I see all of that. Then the question is, wait, is their coin actually valued properly? That's a whole nother problem. Tokenomics and all that, because it's not a regulated security, um, even though really, like, if you really fundamentally look at Chainlink, it's a security. <laughs> like, 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 that's what it was. It was never, like, SEC never went after them, but really what it was is security. Is the tokenomics, the distribution, all of that fair? And there's definitely people who have a gripe with some of that in terms of, like, how much is, you know, Chainlink, how much does the Chainlink company have in terms of tokens? How much of that's going to be released into circulation? Um, how is that going to impact price action? And those are legitimate gripes, for sure. But at the same time, it's not like if you own a stock, you haven't seen stocks, you know, companies will dilute shares. Like, for example, there's Rocket Labs, which is like a Tesla style, not a Tesla, a SpaceX competitor shooting rockets into space. And recently their stock price took a dump because they diluted, they announced that they're going to dilute shares by raising more money to fund operations. So you could be in that situation, even the regular stock market and get diluted. It's, you don't have to be in crypto for this to happen. So I'm comfortable with that as long as what they're going to do with that money might give me long-term shareholder value in the future. I might be critical of it at the moment. In that case, I bought Rocket Lab stock. I never owned it before. I'm like, oh, look, it dumped. I'm going to buy some. And, um, and maybe they're going to shoot rockets to Mars or whatever. I don't know. But I took an ex uh, a piece of that because it seemed interesting saw blood in the street and I bought it, right? But it doesn't mean necessarily that they're not going to go to zero. They might. But if they don't, like, and they do really well and they become the next SpaceX, then of course, um, you know, maybe my my bag goes up. Um, similarly, like in Chainlink, the thing is there's a lot of team tokens. And if they sell on you, which they do, by the way, they sell constantly uh, to fund operations. They use it as de facto security. My question I have to ask myself is, okay, is this eventually going to like, is that selling going to slow down as they run out of coins as maybe like, you know, the, the number of new users and the new functions of the Chainlink token, are they going to exceed the selling pressure? And I, I think that's going to be the case. I could be very wrong, by the way. I think it's going to be the case that the new buyers are going to exceed the new, the new sellers and therefore token number price go up. Um, especially in a bull market where nobody cares about this shit, really. Like people that log on to Coinbase, they just push some buttons and they buy coins. They don't care about the tokenomics. So in a bull market, uh, you don't want to right curve the, you know, you want to be a dimwit. Like this early in a bull market, like is the time to be a dimwit. Don't care about all the different fundamentals of stuff. Just get whatever you think is interesting. Everything will go up. On the other hand, later on, it's going to be like, wait, you know, in the next bear market, is this going to put in a new higher low or is it going to put a new, new low or whatever like what's its new like stru financial structure on the chart going to look like in two years from now is it going to be worse than bitcoin like pete's worried about is it going to be better that i think might be the case but hard to say you know like is the roi going to be better right now at this moment on link versus bitcoin at this moment high high probability it's going to be linked because like link only has to do a 3x BTC to do a three X to get to 150 K takes a lot more money. That's that's $3 trillion market cap. So but as, as you know, Seth, well, the, mm -hmm. as higher as your capital gets, mm -hmm. you're not really working. Like, yeah. The, you know, if I'm putting in a hundred grand, it's right. going to be very hard for me to emotionally put a hundred grand in the chain link. I agree. That gets, right? Exactly. I could so, put 10 in, I could put 15 in. Yeah. And, so if I throw, and, and, Exactly. So it should be proportional to your uh, it should be proportional to your risk tolerance. And like what is going to make your eyes bleed if it drops 50 percent for a period of time? Right? Yeah, that's the thing. So you definitely have to volatility, be able to tolerate volatility is a very important thing, which is why everyone says don't put in what you can't afford to lose. Don't put in what you have to pay for mortgage with next month, all of that kind of stuff, because 
people that gamble where they're like, oh, I think it's going to 2x by next month and I'm going to go take on leverage and whatever. And I'm going to like, and I'm going to be able to pay for my mortgage for the next year instead of like the next month. Then all of a sudden it goes down 50%. They get liquidated with leverage. And, um, you know, cause like, and I only buy spot by the way, I don't do leverage, but some people will be in rooms like this. They'll hear you talk about something bullish and they'll go fucking crazy. Like they'll go take on leverage. And I, I, I have a simple rule around here. You do with your money what you want to do, but if you lose money, I will not lose an ounce of sleep. I've seen over 10,000 people die. You losing money or even killing yourself wouldn't make me even flinch for a second. I literally see death. What were you, a 9-11? No, I, I'm a I was just going to say, yeah, for anyone who doesn't have the context, Seth, he works at a hospital. Without no, that context, that's quite a comment. Yeah, among the more busy in the country. So, like, like usually when we're busy, like, you know, we see death, like, coming like rain. Forget 9-11. That's, oh, more people that's your cover, right? Really, you're a yeah. crypto hitman. Yeah, most people that, like, <laughs> most people that go to war have not seen how many crypto people I've seen die. Yeah, there's no wow. comparison. So, basically, like, I'm jaded to people's, I've seen people commit suicide every day. I'm jaded to people's stupidity as far as, like, how many people are stupid. One rule in, in the world is human beings are generally morons. And many people do stupid things, not only with their money, but with their food, with their life, whatever. They, people do dumb stuff all the time, including myself. And so I don't really like, if I want to hang around in Twitter spaces and like, you know, LARP about crypto or whatever, like the reality <laughs> is I'm not like, I'm not going to control the, every stupid person that listens to whatever. Like I might have, like, for example, like, I really thought, like, Luna UST was super interesting in terms of, like, token design and, like, whatever. And so I talked about it a lot during Spaces in 2021. And um, people like, oh, you shilled Luna. I'm like, dude, I will dance on your fucking grave if you lose money on anything in here. And I won't care for even a second. Like, well, people you, need to you know who that. the psychopath <laughs> is in the room. You know yeah. who the psychopath is, which is yeah, good, exactly. but you are one. So like, <laughs> no, it's, it's the reality. Of <laughs> it's good I've for you enough, to be a psychopath, but you yeah, are I've, met a, I've seen enough death, like, and destruction and people lose money. Which turns you into a psychopath. That basically like. A no, human life. No, it's not a question of psychopathy. It's a question <laughs> that I know that oh, yeah, most human beings is. are illogical with their thinking. In fact, yeah, like, if anything, like all the advice I've given you guys is probably like reasonable life advice. Um, the most patients and people that you talk to, you tell them to like, okay, you're getting too fat, dude. You're going to die. They don't listen and they just die, by the way. The actual psychopaths are most of you guys, not me. Like if, if you go like walk day to day, how people behave, they're <laughs> that's morons. That's what a psychopath dude. would say. No, that's what morons that's do. What, but that's they're what like, somebody... That's no, what no, no. I think what we're discovering here is Steffi actually has sociopath disorder. Yeah, like, there we go. <laughs> like, no, I have, I have saved more lives than most of you have done like anything for this. I'm country. kidding. Right. <laughs> I'm saying, don't get all worked up. Don't so, get all worked up, bro. So the, the, no, what I'm saying is what I'm pointing out, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out like really important. You're just treating you like of, one of the bros. Yeah, I'm trying to like point out important like advice here. And that is that like when it comes to your money, be careful with your money and certainly don't do anything that's risky that has something to do with someone, something that I said or something that Pete said. Like the reality yeah. is your money that you have to put like, I could basically lose a fuck ton of money and basically be fine. I could lose my job and everything and I could like be fine. So this is like, the reality is that that's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people, like if they lose a bunch of money and they can't pay the mortgage next month, they could fuck their life up bad. You don't think I've seen that? I've seen a lot of that. So the lesson there is not to become a psychopath, but the actual path to real compassion is not to be some kind of socialist, but it is to basically say that, look, look, if you take personal responsibility, 
and not assume that like other people in crypto or something else should tell you what to do, you're going to be better off. But the problem is that only like financial markets generally will only teach you something via max pain. So the problem is, is like you can read a book about all of these things and go, oh, you know what? I read Mother Teresa's book. She's not a sociopath. I read her book about how to like do financial markets. The problem is, is that like you don't actually learn until you lose money around here. I've had many, plenty of bags go to zero in, in my life. Like I've had some solar companies and different things that I bought. They went to zero, but like I was fine because I had an income. I didn't go ridiculous into buying those things in terms of allocation. Allocation is everything around here. Pete knows this. Like anyone who's been around here long enough knows that like, you know, like, but don't think for a second that like people that tweet stuff that's bullish about some coin are going to get a flying fuck if you lose money, if, if you do the wrong thing. Yeah, no one cares That's that you point. lose money. No one's going to care, exactly. It's yeah, not no that I'm the sociopath, it's that reality is a sociopath and that, like, nobody cares about you. Like, this is not how the world yeah. works. Like, people are this not This is a poker know. game. Yeah, like, like if you, exactly. If you lose, if I river a flush and I take home your paycheck, I don't care about your kids eating. Now, the, on the opposite token, like, yeah. I am, I might like, give you a loan. Yeah, I, I'm generally an optimist in the sense that, like, if you come to me and tell me, you know, you know, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've been on heroin, I've been doing drugs, I've been drinking alcohol. I'm like, look, man, like, if you want to quit, I'm here for you. I can, I can try to help right. you see what we can do. But at the same time, if you decide you're not going to listen to me and you're going to go keep doing heroin and kill yourself, dude, I can't even function the next day if I'm going to worry about you because I've got 10 other people with the same problem. Right. So like there is a level of F which like I'm comfortable helping a person with anything that they have issues with, whether it's medically or whatever in life. But at the same time, if someone doesn't want to pay attention, wants to pay partial attention or not do the thing that you're supposed to do, I don't know what else to tell you. I tell my kids the same thing, by the way. I'm like, look, like if you want to study, work hard, get a great job. America's full of opportunities. If you can't make it in America, Jesus Christ, where are you going to make it? Like, it's ridiculous. Like there's plenty of stuff you can do, plenty of technologies, things you can learn, whatever. It doesn't have to be crypto. It doesn't have to be whatever. You can do whatever you like and do it and you can do great. But if you decide not to do those things, if you decide to sit around on your ass and do nothing, that's your business. I even tell my own kids this. I'm like, you're going to be poor. And the reality is like, it's really hard to sort of make it where you have way more money than the next guy. It's really hard to be above average in that world where like, you know, what skill do you have that other people are going to pay you to do? And I got news for you. The world is going to be absolutely brutal to you. Like, forget about sociopaths. The world in general is just absolute Darwinism. And uh, if you decide to go, oh, I'm just going to do nothing with my life, that's your business. I tell my kids this. I'm like, look, like, you know, n- you know the world's not going to just simply just come to save you if you're not doing well. You have to look out for yourself mostly. And it's not a question of sociopathy, really. It's just the reality of things. And, um, and I think, like, personal responsibility is something that, at least in America, things have gone to shit, in my opinion. Um, and like, there should be way more people just like, if you see me as a doctor in a hospital and you're still smoking and you have lung cancer, like if you're a patient of mine and you still have a, like you haven't quit smoking, I'm like, dude, it's really hard to quit smoking. I get it. But man, you just had lung cancer. What the fuck are you doing? You're going to get lung cancer again. Or I've had people that like, you know, uh, like have a coronary bypass surgery. They come out into the parking lot. I'm walking in from, you know, home and I'm like coming into work that day. And like the person's smoking, I'm like, dude, you're going to clot that, um, you know, you know, bypass off immediately. You're just going to drop dead. Like, what are you doing? And I, I'm pretty aggressive with it. I'm like, guys, family, you need to get a pine box ready. Your 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 husband's going to drop dead. He's just fucking around and finding out, right? Like, so I'm pretty aggressive in terms of convincing people, but that's convincing at the end of the day. 
Like if I'm going to get you to quit doing something bad, I have to be really, really nasty to you because you got to hit rock bottom when it comes to alcoholics, cigarette smokers, heroin addicts, and every other kind of thing that, you know, meth addicts and whatever. So like, if you think like I can be absolutely brutal in my language, it's absolutely the case because I know that what's going to happen to you if you don't listen to me, it's not just narcissism or some other BS. It's like, you can just like, you're legitimately going to die. Like, you know, like, so it's like, I don't do my best to keep you from dying. I'm the sociopath. I'm the one that doesn't care. Right. So like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you understand the world at its core reality, you can be much more realistically compassionate with people. And this is true in finance and everything else. But on the other hand, if you have a delusional behavior about your bags or about your investments or anything else that you do, then you're going to end up hurting yourself. And I think a lot of people in crypto do, right? Like when they say like 90% of people lose money, they're not kidding. That's money I probably took from people at some some level, like at some point. And a lot of it, a lot of it just simply is yeah. over trading. Yeah, <laughs> like sure. Taking, taking, you know, I don't trade with a stop loss. I don't. I do so, not either, because I'm not using. That fuck that stop loss shit. Yeah. That's what they taught you to do, so they could take your money from you. Yeah. Like, stop losses are so that you can like be selling low, with the illusion of capital preservation. Like maybe the only yeah. time it helps is if you're in a really, really bullish market and what you want to do is have maybe a trailing stop loss, which is like a response. Yeah, a trailing But stop. outside of that, it's like, you know, uh, like what I don't want to be, I don't, trade I don't want to be losses. doing is I don't want to be selling low necessarily unless I'm like, ah, this company's stupid. I want to exit. It's like, okay, fine. So it's not that I've never sold low. You know many people? It's just, yeah. I've seen so many people, like you just, like a lot of people can't handle getting stopped out 10 times in a row and then hitting their five to one winner. And it's like, Oh, I didn't know trading was this painful. Trading is if you trade that way that everyone teaches you to trade because they read it in a fucking book. It's stupid. And this is why people fail at trading is because they trade with stop loss. I think it's, a, I think it's and a he, function of thesis though, man. Like, like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. It's, it's more a function of, yeah. Like what's your personal thesis is okay. at that situ that moment, and so there yeah. may be scenarios where stop losses make sense. There's other times that they're largely useless. Um, it depends on what you're. If you're overpositioned, the reason why you have to have a stop loss is because you put too much on. Probably so. That's a lot. That's that's my opinion. Because I agree. If you if you do you need a stop loss with one share? No. Yep, I, right? I agree. You need a stop loss with five hundred shares. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You don't need. Like, that's the your risk management. Most people just need to trade small. Your risk management. Yeah. Um, yeah. The question becomes: Is your position too big? Is that why you're worried about this? That's always exactly. Is exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. And, so all of these things. You know, it took. But it took I, I would say, like, going into this type of market now, like, there's like, what, what do I think of the overall picture? Am I more? Am I, you know, on a scale of one to one hundred, like, you know, zero being bearish, hundred being bullish. Look, looking at where we are now, I'm at least a 70. If not, like if BTC breaks all time high, it goes to gigasend territory. Um, outside of that, like what do I do if BTC dumps here? Like what am I going to do? It's simple. I have a bunch of stocks that are way in the green. Like, you know, I'm up anywhere from 40 to 100 percent over the last year on a lot of different stocks. And what I'll do is I'll sell some of those winners. And if BTC takes a drop, I can convert to my to BTC and my ETF immediately within that trading account. And that's going to be my that's my insurance policy for a a a drop in the crypto space is I have stable coins in the form of stocks 
and those I can convert now direct to ETF, which is awesome. That's my Hello, plan. everybody. Right. I've not been on this space before or spoke. You're doing? here to speak because Bitcoin oh. broke well, 50K. So I want to say congratulations to everyone in crypto right now. Let's keep going. Yeah. If you're on the sidelines and you're, Sounds and good, you're, man. And you've not bought, you absolutely suck. Get wrecked. Yeah. Because we're going to yeah. 100K. <laughs> You fucking beers are getting wrecked, bro. So let's go. <laughs> no, it's not the door, baby. It's not the door. It's me banging my feet. I'm laughing at these beers because we're going to 100K. <laughs> so let's go, everyone, yeah? If you're not I'm glad bored, you're having I'm, a good time. <laughs> I'm having a great time, bro. I'm ready. I'm ready. And you should be too. So let's go. Let's go. Thank you for letting me speak. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs> Have a good day, man. He's like getting euphoric already. It's only 50K. <laughs> yeah, bro, because them beers, yeah, they, they, the top they is didn't in. even think we were going to get The top's in, everybody. Sell your bags. Nah, bro, I've, I've been bullish since 15K. So I'm definitely not the top signal, bro. I'm definitely not the top signal. <laughs> I'm laughing at the people that are on the sidelines now. You know, maybe with 50% only allocated. And you was hoping for that dip. But no, you tried to scrape. You tried to you know, dump on us, the true holders, and you got left holding half of your cash. Now we're at 50K. So come on. Um, by, the, by the way, Matt, going on. <laughs> you're in a room with people that have been doing this for years. So yeah, it's, there, no, there's almost no normies here. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, bro, I'm just memeing, yeah. bro. As you can tell, I'm having a good day. I thought I'd come and have a laugh, but thanks for letting me speak, man. Continue, bro. Uh, Thank you. You're Thank good. You. Yeah, hopefully have a good, yeah, have a good day. <laughs> What a great, what a, we needed that. That was great. A little bit of pump of mentals. My walk with a nice pump. Yeah, a little. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah, anyway, but uh, I I do think I agree with him that like allocation wise, though, um, this is the stage in the market that whether it was in October, where a lot of us kind of went more heavy, I think the time to go all in is coming to an end in that like, you're still early enough. So if you look at like where we are at FIB levels for lots of different alts and whatnot, you're still reasonably early on a lot of them. Um, and I think like it's not too late at this point. Um, in fact, I bought more link and some other things, even at 20 bucks and we're 2072 in the net last in just since I bought. So really like there's a variety of things you can pick up. Definitely not too late. BTC breaks, you know, um, I think the odds we break all time high fairly quickly are fairly good. So if you look at last time we were at sort of like this 50k level in February 20 you know 21 it was only like April by the time we hit a new high and um it looks like that same timing here that by April it's quite possible that we hit you know BTC high again these candles can be quite big quite fast especially as sort of like leverage pours in and usually what happens uh, is that when you break all time high that's sort of confirmation for a lot of people. And they're like, all right, this thing's got legs. And a lot of people will jump in at the high, you know, and and push it even higher. That's very likely as well. So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, so, you know, but like, like I said before, I'm of the impression that if I'm wanting more ROI and a lot of like what I like is parabolic curves, that's what I enjoy watching, um, that parabolic things, um, your your ROI is going to be higher by picking like reasonable alts, um, and by reasonable, I think that differs depending on which opinion is whatever. That's fine, but I've got stuff across the market cap spectrum. I've got high market cap, which would be like a link. I've got things that are 
you know, older things, bags I've been holding like ETH and Bitcoin that have been sitting there for whatever. We've got some mid-cap things that I think are interesting, some teams I like and all. And then I've got some um, very low-cap stuff like Zephyr and whatnot that have a very different use case. So I have no sort of like maximalism towards any particular thing. I still buy stocks and whatnot. Even last week I bought some. Um, so it just depends on like the day and my mood and stuff. I just enjoy it. Like I've been doing this for a very long time and just have fun playing around. Um, and like the thing is you can make a lot of mistakes if you're in relatively early. So if you buy something, you know, for five bucks, it goes to a hundred and it goes back down to 10, you're still up at two X, right? <laughs> like the problem is if you start into this late, you, you know, you're like, Oh, my friend's said something and blah, blah, blah. And I'm getting in really late. The problem what happens is, um, that you can basically be a bag holder for who knows how many years. And I've, I've been a bag holder on some things for years too, and that's fine. But as long as you're comfortable with that, you're, you're all right. And if you have a thesis that that thing will come back up in value, then you're all right. If, you, if it's not going to come back up in value or you lost a lot of opportunity costs because you had your cash tied up in it, then that's just like a lesson you have to learn and move on. And like, that's just life. But, um, you know, but I've seen some epic dumps in all sorts of markets. Um, you know, 2008 financial crisis, you know, my dad pretty much had a ton of money go down in value during the, during the, um, dot-com bubble. So I'm not new to bubbles. I've watched multiple bubbles play out for different reasons. BTC's bubbles are the awesomest because like <laughs> the bubbles are programmatic. They're actually built to bubble. It's built to bubble with the happenings. And it was designed to sort of have that effect on purpose to shake up the system as opposed to a gradual change in mining difficulty it was decided to have a you know a block height based change and that was made that way to shock the system on purpose super interesting token design obviously um not all proof of work networks have that design in terms of happenings and such but um but yeah even like other stuff that we talked about even something so simple as a litecoin which you know has been putting in higher highs every season i'm from sorry higher lows or higher um, lows on things like Monero, which he has a really low token supply remaining um, to be mined. These are things that, like, um, if you pick them at the right time, they will in fact beat BTC for the short term. They won't necessarily beat it for the long term, so you have to exit. But you know, is it easier to get like a three X on Litecoin at this moment, or is it easier to get a three X on Bitcoin at this moment? I would say it's easier to get it on Litecoin. But that's not something you necessarily hold. You could sell it, you know, after the gain. So, like, yeah, decide what you're going to trade, what your sort of instincts are in terms of like, you know, um, where your buy-in is going to be, when you're going to sell, and then make decisions about once you exit, are you going to go to the dollar, which you know Pete seems to have a problem with, or would you have a, be more likely to go into BTC? Now, here's the thing: if the entire altcoin market space moons, let's say by summer, everything is going berserk, like you know, twenty you know, like the last DeFi summer, for example, um, and you're exiting something, if you exit to another volatile asset, um, you know, like BTC, and it takes a dump for some reason, well, now you're down, even though like your, your total valuation of your portfolio might go down. There might be reasons why you go to the dollar for a period of time, wait for BTC to do a pullback, or whatever, maybe you'll get more then. So there's always like the opportunity to trade and whatever. And yeah, like dollar gets debased, yada, yada, yada. But like, it's not being debased to the point where like you can't hold it for six months and be fine. Like, you know, okay, fine. You have like 1% inflation during that time. Big deal. Um, it's not a big, like, it's not that big of a deal. So don't like, I don't think there's necessary to get like over, 
worried about your dollar exposure. In fact, dollar network effects have been going up around the world, even with the inflation. The, the number of countries and the number of transactions being done on the dollar is actually at record highs uh, globally. So even with all the bricks and all the other bullshit, I'm not like, I am definitely not the one to fade the United States of America. Do not mistake me for that guy. Like, I, like the number of tech developments that are coming out in the United States today at this moment that are going to be monetized over the next 20 years will take your fucking breath away. I mean, I've started doing learning robotic surgery and doing some of those things. I have done play, playing in tech for a long time since I was a kid. And like, there's a lot of bullish stuff happening in the United States of America today. Like, What's, do not fade. What was that, what was that ticker? I agree with you, Sefi, when you talk about fading the U.S., even, even, even if it's the end of an empire, sometimes empires take 150 years, you know, to decline. I don't think Do you know what I think anything. as well, guys? Do you know, because I'm from England, yeah? Like, when I'm investing in crypto, like, I have to swap my pounds for USDT and then buy stuff. So um, what I'm thinking is, contrary to everything that you've just been saying, um, let's say you was to sell and go into USDT and hold some of that, but the price of the dollar could drop, so now your purchasing power becomes less. Um, it might be worth looking into holding half pounds, great British pounds, because if the dollar like debased greatly, yeah, that's possible. the pounds would you know hold its value so that now, might be another one to look at there maybe one thing one thing i have almost no expertise in is being like you know dealing with like multiple forex exposure like multiple currencies and stuff so you might be right um there may be times when yeah the dollar is weak compared to other things like like does that make sense to anyone because at the minute like yeah. pounds it's a, it's a type, be, you know it's a type like, of diversification in a sense yeah, yeah. So, so you diversify your fiat so you, in the two strongest currencies we all currently know, which is the dollar and the pound, um, and the euro even, guys, and the euro. So, you know, you could split it between those three for security. Yeah, in fact, I might do a bit of that because I'm going to be doing a lot more travel in Europe. So if the dollar is strong versus some other stuff, I might actually convert some to either euros or pounds to do that exact thing because I, I may actually use the money. Um, in those locations for traveling but uh, exactly and, and even if you don't end up using it you can always just convert back when you're ready yeah it's pretty easy yeah i agree it's it's not unreasonable I, i'm not a forex expert though so like i don't watch like the dollar to different currency charts on a regular basis i don't know what a good time to swap it is so it'd be like kind of you know just so, get so i imagine like some of that could catch a lot of people with their pants down yeah would be the next bear market so people will sell their Bitcoin for U.S. dollars, guys, but then inflation will hit mad in the, in the um, bear market. So your dollar will devalue, <laughs> yeah, even though Bitcoin is going down in price as well, the dollar would be going down. So that would be a good time to diversify your fiat in a situation like that. Like that might not sure. happen. That might not happen. But if that was to happen, then that would be the right time to buy some pounds, buy some euros. You know, be yeah. diversified in your fiat. Um, it would be in the next bear market if the dollar goes down in the same time. And to, to, to be fair, at any given moment, I have very, very little cash. Um, I usually invest most of what comes into my wallet every month, um, even dividends and whatnot. So I, I would say, like, I'm not very much in cash at the moment, but there are definitely lots of stocks I own that are in the green. 
I could sell sell at any time that have beat inflation and beat everything else. So like I could sell and then I could buy something in the red if I want to. So I look at my stocks in the green as sort of like almost like my, you know, like stable coins in a sense, because I can use them whenever I feel like it. So anything that's fungible and liquid, you can always like play with um, and take advantage of those those differences. That's all good. But yeah, it's like uh, I think it's not an unreasonable thing to like over time sort of have like at least a five to seven percent dividend yield earning portfolio that you just have, you know, that just keeps paying you in cash. And um, what happens to stocks is they go up with inflation because the stocks get repriced for inflation. This is the reason why, like, over the long term, if they keep printing money, stocks just keep going up. Um, now, if you look at, like, the, you know, if you look at the value of your stocks compared to the, the value of, like, the dollar, what you'll find is that the stock market actually hasn't grown very much relative to the dollar. Uh, if you look at it from that perspective, it sort of like keeps up with dollar debasement, but it doesn't necessarily outpace it unless you happen to be a stock that's outperforming. So if you're like an NVIDIA or you're whatever, Apple or whatever, there are some that have outperformed the the the, the inflation adjusted value of the stock over time. And a lot of things have not, unfortunately. But at the same time, a lot of stocks, they don't look like they've outperformed, but they actually have because they've been paying you dividend the whole time too. Remember, we had a, like a very extensive period of time of very low interest rates. So if you had ExxonMobil stock or something, maybe your stock didn't go up too much, but at the same time, your uh, payouts of that, you know, over the years and years and years compensate that because the payouts were made have been higher than the actual inflation, I'm sorry, the interest rates and such. So there's a lot of different factors there, but yeah, diversification can be interesting. Um, and, uh, depending on how you utilize it, but just think of all money and all securities and all Bitcoin, and everything you just think of it as a, as a tool. And these tools can have different purposes for different people. Um, they have different purposes for different time horizons, depending on how many years you have left to live, for example, or like, do you have kids to put through college or something? Um, do you have stuff that you have to buy, like paying the bills or whatever? So, yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. Part of what I enjoy about maybe doing a lot of my own accounting, a lot of my own tax prep, a lot of my own investing is like, it helps me understand like um, what you know, products might be useful, you know, what, I guess, like, um, you know, maybe it like opens up new opportunities for me. So for example, here, I'll give you an example. Look, let's look at the chain link journey. So at first I just use it as a trading tool, right? I'm like, I don't, okay. Oracles, that's cool. Blah, blah, blah. Like last season, I just bought some, I sold it, got lucky and did well. It's fine. Um, I could have easily bought the wrong time and maybe it went to zero. Luckily, it didn't. Okay, so this, but this time, like bear market, you know, it came along, and then I bought some again to speculate, and then I go, wait a minute, like I know plenty about, you know, cosmos chains and crypto and ecosystems and whatever else, um, how blockchains work and yada yada yada, and so then I go, okay, wait a minute, like I happen to see the stuff that you know Chainlink was talking about, and. Um, you know, maybe it was just because I just happened to decide that moment. Okay, I'm going to go watch their work from their conference on YouTube and whatever. A lot of this is luck, man. Like, because you have to be in the mood for something. Like, that's the funny part of luck. It's not just luck in picking the right thing. It's like you noticing something at the moment, at the opportune time. And the more you're in the game, like the more you're in crypto, the more you're in learning, 
the more likely you're going to pick up alpha at a time when it helps you. Um, so like with Chainlink, when I saw what CCIP does, if you're a crypto noob and you go watch a bunch of Chainlink videos, you have no idea how useful that stuff is or isn't. But if you've been using tons of Ethereum and Cosmos chains and whatever else, and you have done all this, then you go, wait a minute, I can see where that might be useful. And can you I, can basically like plug that into your thesis. Can I say something real quick? Go ahead, man. I think because I was someone who got into crypto not knowing anything about crypto at all, but I studied a lot of philosophy and critical thinking and logic. And I don't think you need to know pretty much anything about crypto to understand the value capture that Chainlink proposes. Like, so that's just, I don't know, that would be my one take on what you just said. Yeah. Like, I know there's definitely yeah. truth to what you said for some people, but also if you're just good at understanding first principles, then you don't even have to know shit about crypto. You can just be like, oh, this right. is the most important <laughs> exactly. thing. Yeah, it's sort of like like you didn't have to know Bitcoin was going to succeed in the early days. If you sort of understood like some basics about sort of the nature of the white paper and what it solved, then you saw the value in that and you went all, you know, you went heavier into BTC. Or if you saw like what Apple did with, let's say, iPod or sort of like iPhone, for example, you're like, ooh, I don't know everything about that, but I know like people want to, would want to use that. And you could just basically invest in that. So I think what you're referring to also is kind of like, you know how people call it the like right curve, mid curve and left curve, like mental thesis. There are some things like that right curve people get right and they get really early because they're smart enough to like get the alpha and dig into it and, you know, buy say when it first came out or Tia network when it first came out or whatever. And then there's the people that are the dimwits that are like, I don't fucking know what it is, but I can see a bunch of people talking about that and I can see how that might be interesting and I'm just going to buy it. You know who gets in trouble a lot in crypto are the midwits. And the midwits get in trouble because they, they think they know enough to like beat the right curve people, but they don't. But they also don't ape into something when it's the right time either because they think that like, you know, like it's just a weird problem. But you, there's a lot of things in crypto you like. I, I used to think that midwit meme, you know, like when people post that IQ thing and they have like the funny drooling guy and the drooling guy on both sides. And then you have like, you know, the Chad, you know, like that whole thing I thought was like stupid at first, but then I'm like, wait a minute, that's exactly what it actually is. Very funny. You can see, you can see it in every profession. Yeah, you can, you really can. You can, you can, you can, you can see it in every profession. Everyone's like, how'd you get that job? Oh, you just showed up to work on time. Exactly. <laughs> Pete's right. It's funny how like, it, it, yeah, that's true. The, 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 like the, the middle IQ people of like that 125 they're trying too hard to impress the smart people. And 125 and is not, not middle, by the way. 95 is middle, by the way. I thought like no, 120. No, no. I was talking about the 120s. 120s are rare. I mean, 120 and above is like very rare. Like a lot of my medical students and residents are not 125. Yeah. So like okay, the average well, electrical engineer is about 95 in America, just just for reference. But anyway, really? <laughs> so just get, get you an idea. Get the fuck out of here. No, I'm, I'm deadly serious. Yes. Yeah. I'm very serious. Okay, because I always thought the mid, I always thought the mid one, like I always thought like one. I I know that it's practically impossible. I always thought. I don't know if anyone else is talking. I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry if I'm oh, talking Pete, to somebody. I think Pete Pete was talking, but maybe you can't hear him. My bad. My bad. It's okay. So I, I that's funny that you corrected me on that. Um, because I know that it's very unlikely you'll meet a person with the 140 IQ. Oh, like it's, it's super you know probably. Yeah, it's like you probably I met I've met two just because I play Omaha eight high low poker. Mm -hmm. And for some fucking reason, Omaha eight high low 
uh, is a game where super IQ people play. Yeah. And I don't know why, because it's like a break-even poker game. <laughs> so it's like, because the high and the low hand scoops to half the pots. So there's never like a solid winner. Yeah. If, if you want to meet high IQ but, people, go to like uh, places where classical music is played, like symphonies and stuff, and you'll meet yeah. those people. You'll meet them in play in like, oh, yeah. yeah. You'll meet them in like games like poker, chess. You also meet them yeah. like in medical professions in America because it's like it's always been yeah, kind of lucrative. For, but the thing me, is, like this this kind of conversation drives me crazy. Yeah, actually, I'm here, here at work, but I just want to jump on it in on this. Like it's it's imperative to discuss what scale you're talking about, right? Like a, sure. like are you talking sure. about like Woodcock Johnson or are you talking about you know the Wexler Adult Intelligence Scale? Because it's right extremely important to dis- to distinguish. Now the average across both is around uh, ninety five to one hundred five. But I mean, if, if you're talking 99th percentile on the Wexler adult intelligence scale, you're talking about a, a 138 average across um, the four main pillars of IQ. And now if you're talking Woodcock Johnson, I believe uh, to be 99th percentile, you have to be over 160, right? So, so context matters a lot. People just throw out fucking numbers and it means absolutely right. nothing at all. Right, right, right. Unless you're talking about the yeah. average. So This is true. And, and, but generally like, um, on the, on many of the comments, like, I think it's might be Wexler, but like the, if you look at like, take for example, the people getting into sort of medical school in America, you've got to be at about a one Oh five. Yeah. It's it's a a one twenty five average for doctors and one fifteen for lawyers on the Wexler adult intelligence scale. And I know all of this because I've been, you don't need to be that smart to be a lawyer. you don't I mean, need to be I mean, one fifteen is really not bad. I mean, that's what eighty sixth percentile. No, so yeah, you're you know. you're pretty smart. No, it depends on the yeah. No, even that there's a wide spectrum there. But yeah, like so, medical like you, the the MCAT is a de facto IQ test because it's timed it and is. it has like quantity of memorization and aptitude and some logic. So it's it's a de facto IQ test to exclude people that can't handle it. Yeah, and so like when I deal with like teaching people at like a resident level, I've already done people that like I'm dealing with people that made it through medical school are being training in like you know various you know, areas, and even there, the number of people that you'll find that are like um, one thirty plus is a very small fraction of that. Yeah, so uh, one forty is like holy shit! Like you rarely will meet a one forty in in actuality, and even if you did, like you like if you like if you have an IQ of a hundred. You have even no idea how the brain of a person at 140 thinks even (laughs) that different. Yeah. So the other thing to consider here is that it's a function of age. So a 21-year-old taking the Wexler adult intelligence scale is not being graded on on the same scale or through the same test as somebody who's in their 40s, right? So I went through this testing when I was 21 years old. And, um, you know, for anyone who fucking doubts me, I can send you my scoring, but it was pretty significant the other thing to consider is that there are multiple facets of it right so you have um you have uh perceptual reasoning you have verbal comprehension you have working memory and you have processing speed is the four main portions of an iq test right so somebody who's in medical school for example can have you know 99th percentile verbal comprehension which is incredibly relevant to what they do and maybe mediocre perceptual reasoning because they're not that involved in math or mediocre processing speed or below average processing speed, but it's not really relevant, you know? So, so if that average drops because of that, yeah. that's fine, but their comprehension still might be 99th percentile. So that's another yeah, there's, distinguish. There's quite wide variability, especially among the, the medical crowd, for example, uh, in terms of like, yeah, the, the level of 
reasoning and such. So there's some people that are going to be great at like, you know, being your primary physician and maybe taking care of some basics for you and, you know, make sure that your, you know, screenings are scheduled and whatever, right? Like, so they can do the organization really well and just take care of like, you know, the ins and outs of that. But they don't necessarily have to be ultra geniuses to do a lot of those things, right? That's, and then there's the people yeah. that like truly are like statistical wizards, for example, who, you know, like even a lot of people that do medical studies, for example, um, that do uh, bio um, statistics and these kinds of things. Um, even people that are in medicine, a lot of people are not very good at biostatistics. A very small proportion of the planet of human beings is really good at biostatistics and be able to design those studies and interpret them properly. So you get like these, like it's even, even among smart people, there's like this pyramid of like how smart people actually are. And there's, I've definitely met people like an order of magnitude smarter than I am. I consider myself pretty, pretty smart, um, in the aggregate. And uh, orders of magnitude, and you can tell immediately, like, holy fuck, that guy came up with more shit while he's brushing his teeth this morning than I did all year. Um, like, yeah, I mean, like, where they're very, very, like, heavy, you know, like, very, like, high in, in like, say, for example, the number of publications they can accomplish, or, like, their, their, their level of execution also is important, because, like, there's the people that say, oh, I'm smart, but I'm lazy. No, most people that say that are just not very smart. That's usually what it is. Like, <laughs> but the ones that can like execute on their, um, use their intellect and actually accomplish things, they have a high sort of like will or drive or whatever you want to call that is really impressive. And so it, it manifests itself um, with like overall more life experience because the more things you do and fail at, because you can be really smart and fail at things, it's fine. The more things you do and fail at, the, the, the more sort of like, you can almost measure their accomplishments in a sense. It's very interesting. But um, I, I know where I fit in. I'm on the left-hand side looking at you smart people. So Sorry, which is short call. Steffi, what you're talking about is impulse control. Which really yeah, fucks there's me. impulse control right. as so well. I'm, I'm completely fucked um, on, on that spectrum, right? So if you're talking about like dopaminergic sing- signaling and, and, and serotonin, uh, signaling. I mean, that's, that's, um, you know, so, so people think that, um, intelligence is directly correlated to like your level of success and to a degree it is, but I think there's some other incredibly important aspects there too. Right. So yeah, on average, if you take on average, if you take a bunch of people with uh, higher intellect versus not, they're likely to be successful if you drop them in the jungle, um, you know, as a group is, it might be higher. Um, that's typically true, but on the other hand, yeah, it's not an automatic, and automatically just because you're like smarter that you're going to be more successful than the next guy. It's not all, it's not always true. Like, and it depends on what, because some people are really, really great at execution. Or like Pete said, like really, really aggressive in terms of work ethic. So while you may think you're smart, that person is doing like, you know, double the amount of work or getting, gaining double the amount of experience as you are. And so therefore like they catch up in many of the ways that are important as far as like monetary success, for example. Yeah. My, my boss behind me here is a all, perfect all, example of that. I mean, all extremely good. I'm sorry. Drew. You're good, man. I was just going to give an anecdote. I mean, the, the guy is, I don't know if I had to guess probably somewhere between uh, 110 and 120, um, as far as his comprehension goes, but uh, the, the guy's just absolutely fucking driven and he can, he can run on three at four hours of sleep. Um, and get every single thing on his agenda done in like a 12 hour day. Whereas 
you know, I'm, I'm lucky if I can focus for six. Right. I mean, I mean, hopping. Yeah. The, well, the people that have example, people that have the need physiologically less sleep, they can just accomplish a lot more in the time period. So that's a, that is a factor. All, all the high IQ people I've played poker with, um, like professors and these doctors and in that specific poker game, for some reason, um, they've all seemed to have one thing like they're able to do something for a long time you know, bouncing off of Drew. They're just able to sit there and play this game for hours where you can kind of see where the other monkeys, like myself, we get frustrated yep. or bored or tension starts to leave. And that, that monkey's able to play that game for 17 hours. That's, and then you're like, well, how is he better? Take for example, well, Pete, he played for 17. Pete, when, I was in, when I was in college, <laughs> so, I was like, you know what? Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I want to go to medical school and I want to make sure I get there absolutely guaranteed. I'm not in the like 150 IQ or whatever the fuck camp. I need to make sure I work at this. I don't want to take any risks with that particular endeavor, right? So what would I do? Like, you know, weekend would come along and I um and I would start at like six in the morning, wake up, start studying for everything I need to do, keep studying all the way till maybe like I don't know, bedtime, eat in between while I'm studying, and I would pretty much take the entire day to do this, right? Like just nonstop. So that kind of like, you know, it's very hard to keep up with someone like that, right? Like how, how would you, if you're studying like four hours in a day or two even, how are you going to keep up with the person that studies like 12 plus hours in a day? Um, you, you just won't. So like you can definitely compensate by pure force of uh, will. And I tell my, my kids the same thing. I'm like, look, like you can go to high school, like for example, uh, you can te like listen to what your teacher says and then go take a test and um, do well. Uh, maybe study after that. Or the summer before your classes, you basically just read through all the textbooks that you otherwise would have had to do. Um, and you basically do them ahead of time. And the only reason you go to class is not to teach, learn anything from the teacher. You just go there to get good test grades on your test. And that way, you get into the better colleges, you get the higher scholarships, you get into better um, group of people that are also smart. And your opportunities escalate a lot when you're among lots of other smart people. So it's an interesting kind of like method. But the idea is like, you don't wait for someone else to tell you what to do, or what you should learn, you front run all of that, as you know, as you do in financial <laughs> markets, you front run all of that by doing it before all the other kids do it. So you know, and then when you just show up to take your tests and things, you've already learned all this stuff. It's you're just there to get a hundred on things, and um, so that's the idea. And and like I think people make the mistake that like even in high school and college, that you're not in a PVP world. You very much are because excellence is rewarded ultimately by you know, you know, scholarships and whatever else. So my older son is an example. Like he went to kind of a top U.S. university. And um, he's graduating this year and the way he did, he did exactly what I told him to do. And he did, he kind of was really good at like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, like the logic to him made sense and he just did that. And he did, he's been doing it ever since, you know, having like a, what is it? Three, nine, seven at a, you know, top university is not that easy. And yet there he is. And so he's kind of taken that to heart and kind of made a habit of it. My little one who doesn't behave in this way, like, you know, he's kind of like just, you know, plays around, fuck around and find out that kind of character. And he's just not going to be able to generate the same amount of that type of success 
on the other hand, he's way more sociable. Like he's really better at like, he's probably better like me in that regard. And so he could be very successful because he could probably rally a lot more people around him than his older brother might have been able to, even though he's the older brother's smarter. So remember, like if you have 10 people that you know that are half, like maybe have a IQ of 90, sometimes you can accomplish more than a single person with an IQ of 120, right? So like even, cause it's way easier to find people with IQ of 95 than it is to find the IQs of 130. And if you're pretty good at rallying the forces and you know being very social, then what happens is your collective IQ of your group right, is bigger than it is for an individual. So never like forget the power of human networks. And um, so just because you're not the smartest bulb in the box or whatever, doesn't mean you can't be fucking successful as hell. <laughs> like, so like my little one, may I, I'm less worried about him. You know, the bigger one, I'm like, okay, you need to find a girlfriend. You know, like, I'm like, I don't want him to be a fucking incel or whatever. And, uh, but the little one, I have no problem in that side. For him, I have to get him to focus more on doing what, what we were talking about, which is like spending more time, you know, on a specific singular thing and not diverting his attention away from that. So like, depending on the person, you know, success can be like achieved in different ways. And um, like you play on your strengths, but you should also know your weaknesses very quickly. And then figure out, wait a minute, how do I compensate for those weaknesses? What can I do differently? And, um, and as long as you have like a way to look inward and judge yourself, you know, like you judge yourself in such a way that it's constructive, then you can sort of beat a lot of your maybe weaknesses, I would think. That's, that's the way. I yeah, I'm curious to know where um, intuition comes into this conversation because it is an interesting conversation. Um, I mean, being on spaces for a couple months allows my intuition to tap in just based on frequencies of people's voices. So one thing I do is when people are shilling or when people are being uh, paid by certain projects to promote a coin, I can tap into their frequency of their voice and that intuition kicks in where I know this guy's being genuine or he actually doesn't believe in this coin. But yeah, I'm curious to know, where does um, intuition kick into IQ? Um, yeah, like these kind of intangible things that are very hard to maybe directly measure. Um, yeah, instinct and intuition and whatever. They can both serve you very poorly or very well, depending on the situation. Like if you are in my position as a physician, I would say like, if you look at most of the people that show up in a hospital, critically ill today in America, at least some 70% of them are smokers or ex-smokers. And, it, and now increasingly, a lot of them are people that have eaten too much, gained too much weight, or having serious consequence of that, and literally dying of that, um, shortening their lifespans. Uh, or like I see a whole bunch of people that do a lot of drugs and you know get in trouble. So what that tells me is that like a lot of people's intuition is very off, meaning it's like both the decision making and their intuition as far as how they manage their inner feelings, uh, whether it's cravings for food, whether it's craving for alcohol, drugs, smoking, whatever it is, those things are not as good as many people think they, they are. So the part of the problem with our intuition is that like a lot of times our intuition is grotesquely wrong and it results in serious actual consequences, not just monetarily or success wise, but even to health. And, um, we all make these sort of decisions that, um, like uh, another person would be like, oh, that's obvious. It's logical. It's intuitive. 
And some of us will make things that are, are very much not. And then, and then of course, there's intuition, like, okay, your ability to sort of read a person or whatever. And that's a thing um, as I have well. A little, a little, like, insight and comment on this, just anecdotal. Um, when I was, like, younger, high school years, maybe even a little earlier and into college, um, I was really into psychoactive drugs, not in terms of like taking them, but I wanted to go into pharmacology. Like I was interested in the pharmacokinetics of how the brain reacts to you know substances, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, and playing indirectly what you're talking about, Sefi, even though that's not the path I ended up going in life, having that sort of in my tool belt as an understanding, I was able to apply to things like the addictive nature of like leverage trading or gambling or even just your diet with like sugar and smoking or drinking like how it's the it works at the core level in your brain the same way an addictive drug like heroin does or something like your body will tell you you want something and crave it intuitively like you're saying and it's not always going to be true and that can apply from anything to substances to like investing especially if you're coming at it with like a gambling mindset <laughs> yeah, the, controlling the emotions and such, and you know all that stuff that people talk about with trading, um, I think is partly tempered by knowledge. So the thing is, like, it's a question of conviction. It's a question of really true understanding versus purely emotionally trading. I, I one of our friends on here, Sammy, he 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 mentioned it really, really cleanly, and that is, if you're a pure technical trader, just assume all crypto is a scam, and all you're doing is basically like you know, throwing money at things, hoping they go up and then selling them and then just watching charts and things. Um, that can sometimes be a good thing because then you're not married to your bag. You're not actually like, you know, you can think completely clearly about it because you're not in love with your Apple stock or your, your whatever. Yeah. And I know a number, be- I know a number of people who don't believe in crypto, but they see and acknowledge the fact that other people are, and that there are, hundreds of thousands of people running trading scripts and bots and institutions. So they might not care about crypto, but it's just one more vehicle to trade in or invest yeah. in or not exactly. invest really. But exactly. If if other people are doing it this way, then the question is, should I be doing at least some of my portfolio that way or not is a question. Um, so you have to just think about what you are and, and how you're going to respond. But yeah, intuition, like here's an example. Um, Apple was running really high and it was doing great. Is before Steve Jobs' death, and uh, he had pancreatic cancer, and um, he'd had his transplant and everything already, and um, and Jobs basically was like, you know, getting close to deathbed. Tim Cook was like, you know, chatting with him, and people were keeping him comfortable, and it's like maybe a couple of weeks left to live. <laughs> this is the scene. Um, um, oh, Timmy dropped down. Um, but then, so my wife was like, um, like you know, the stock's going to dump if he dies, right? And I'm like, wait. Like, isn't that priced into the market and whatever else, right? Like, you know, like, why would why would it need to dump now? Wouldn't it have already be priced in because the market's forward looking, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you're just overthinking this shit. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hold. So my wife, she had sort of like that emotional instinct that, hey, you know, this thing's going to dump. I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll hold it. And um, so I hold and it drops 10% within like a day. And I remember those days very well because my portfolio was dropping at levels like like you're like 10% in my portfolio at that stage would be like, I don't know, like, like small towns worth of portfolio. Or something. It's like a ridiculous amount of money. And like, my wife was like, you know, you're going to fuck this up, right? You're going to hold this thing and whatever. I'm like, all right, fine. So it drops 10%. And I actually sold 
uh, had to pay like a bunch of long-term capital gains taxes, but she was correct. It continued to drop another like 30 or 40% from there. And from the top, it had dropped like 45 or something. I can't remember the exact amount, but I remember like buying it back eventually. And, you know, it was like, it eventually obviously did fine, whether or not you sold it or not. But like, I was able to rebuy my Apple stock. I bought it all at one time. Like, <laughs> it was kind of funny. I bought it all at one time while I was at Disneyland or some shit and in line. And I remember seeing my, I was like, seeing my phone on my app and I'm like, oh, okay, look at, um, his fidelity or something. I'm like, let's go buy it. Let's buy it all back. And I did. And of course, you know, that was a fantastic move. Had I listened to my wife the first minute she thought of it emotionally, it would actually would have happened faster. The same thing happened when I faded Facebook stock. She's like, okay, you know, like everyone's using this Facebook thing. And I'm like, it sounds stupid to me. It's like, I, I kind of like right curved it. I'm like, why isn't, tell me why this isn't going to be my space, whatever. And I didn't buy the thing. And guess what? It, it like, you know, it, it obviously mooned from there. It, it actually dumped really bad after the ICO, almost like you know, Coinbase stock, you know? And so it's like, I could have bought literally the very bottom of Facebook stock because we were watching it. My wife was like, you need to get some. I faded it. Same thing, Tesla. She's like, oh, the people at work are talking about Tesla and Elon Musk and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't really know much about Elon at the time and whatever. I hadn't done much research on him. I didn't know what the fuck he's doing. I had, it's like, oh, he did PayPal or something, right? That was about what I knew. So I faded that as well. And I could have bought Tesla literally at the, you know, at the beginning. Um, same story. So like, um, but yeah, these kinds of things, um, basically like sometimes the person with emotional intelligence, um, is better at sort of like aping into something, uh, versus us right curve or midwit types who basically like overthink some stuff. Um, and I think that's also the reason why the person who's right curving it, who really, really thinks that something is really technically amazing, like your Algorand or your link or your Bitcoin or whatever, there's going to be a tendency not to sell, um, even though you're up like 5, 10, 20x. And the reason is because you'll come up with all sorts of like kind of like, you know, reasons why it's, oh, no, this is going to be the next great thing. It's going to change the world, blah, blah, blah. And what you wind up with is like holding on to something that, um, true, it might change the world like Apple or Chainlink, but that doesn't mean it's not overvalued at that moment. And that doesn't mean it can't pull back big time. Um, so like, yeah, once you've kind of realized that, you know, the, the monetary value of something does not mean that it's fundamentally good or bad based on that price action at that moment, um, then you can kind of think rationally. Great example most recently is Tesla. Like when Tesla went over two hundred dollars, I'm like, what in the hell? Like it's not like there's no fundamentals to justify that kind of valuation. That's not to say that it couldn't just keep going up, and it did. It went to like you know almost three hundred um, this last run. Um, actually, I think it went close to yeah, like yeah, three hundred this last run, and the and it topped out at like four fifteen the previous run. But remember, it dropped down to like from four hundred to one hundred. So. With Tesla at 400 and Tesla at 100, fundamentally, they're the same company. They're not that much difference between those two levels. But the reality is the price to earnings ratio was way, way too high at 400. And it was still a bit high at 100 when, when Tesla was $100. But like, you know, I bought it at about 106. I sold it about 170. I got most of the move. I got rid of it. And then I bought other stuff that was seemed to me less risky. Those things also went up, like intuitive surgical and whatever. And so I still made the gain but at lower risk because I entered into those other stocks at a position where they hadn't run yet, right? They hadn't been, they hadn't pushed up to crazy valuations and people are in like Elon and Tesla fervor, just like they were in Steve Jobs fervor. 
you know, before that. So like these things just, you know, they come one after the other and you just have to play with them. But yeah, your instincts start to matter. But you also, unfuddable to your point, like you definitely hone your instincts over time, though. You're like, wait a minute, I need to check my emotional baggage. Maybe I'm just overthinking this or underthinking this. And my intuition can be very wrong sometimes. Like, like I've given you plenty of examples of where I was wrong about stuff. And um, even now, it's like my take on Tesla is it's 188. It's price earnings like 70 something, which is really high still. And the car market is shit. And like, there's not a, like, there's not a lot of um, reason to believe that, um, that uh, interest rates are going to come down to the point where the car market recovers quickly. So I'm kind of like, I don't want to buy Tesla now. My wife's like, you should get it again. I, I sold it at 177 though. So buying back at 188 now. You got you. You got to remember, Sefa, is that Tesla has a large amount of Bitcoin, and the accounting rules have changed. Yeah, yeah. I do believe the next earnings you're going to see that. Yeah, you're going to see that if they sell again. Out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much they have still, but yeah. But um. But well, no. You get they get a, they get a, the FAFSA is you can use the appreciation on the coin. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, if Tesla would not have sold their Bitcoin at the bottom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, the company would be how much more profitable. And then if they would have kept buying, how much more profitable. They didn't sell a bottom. They sold like um, mid-market. Like it was, I don't remember what the price They sold like 22,000. They sold it like 22K. Was it? Was it? Okay. Anyway, whatever it was. Um, yeah, I thought it was like 22K. It wasn't in the 30s. I thought it was more I like 50. For sure on that. Uh, we could probably look it up. But anyway, who cares? The thing is like, so, okay, so well. Tesla in my mind right now, just as a, like looking at my intuition here, let's find out if I'm wrong in the future or not. My intuition is it's it's still overvalued. And I remember when Apple stock was down like 12 to 13 PDE ratios and absolutely crushed when I was buying it. Um, and, you know, Tesla could change the world. They can build robots. They can do all this shit. But like, does it warrant a 76 PDE ratio with like car sales on the decline and their car company being worth more than all the other car companies behind, you know, combined? I don't know about that. So like, am I going to buy Tesla here? No. But if it goes under 100 bucks, I'm going in heavy. Right, because they have a huge robotics thing, AI push, and everything else. So I don't think it's a bad company. You can have a good company be overvalued. Um, the same way it was overvalued at 300. In my opinion, it's still overvalued at 188, and it can go down to 100. If it goes to 100, great, I'll buy some. But here's where the 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 like emotional control comes in. If it doesn't go to 100 and it moons uh, or goes up afterwards, I don't care. Why? Because I have a bunch of other stuff that's going to go up. Why do I care if this one goes up? Right. You're, you're just looking for the price action necessarily, not necessarily to be a lifetime investor of Tesla. Um, then that's a different thing. Now, if you want to be a lifetime investor, you want to hold it for 20 plus years like I did with Apple and whatever. Do it. I mean, that's fine. And you may do well over the long term. And it, it's probably not going to zero as far as I can tell. So you could probably scale into it on the way down. But I'm only going to buy it if it goes below the price I sold it, which is like 177. It literally touched 177. And now it's like sitting there. But um, the reality is like our hedge funds and other managers are going to buy it now or do they think it's overvalued? That's the other question. Mm, I don't know. But, but I think like at somewhere between 80 to $100, it's probably it's going to have a P to E ratio of sub 35. And then it starts becoming like a combination of a growth stock plus a value stock. And it starts getting really interesting. In like Taoism, there's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. 
There's this principle in like Taoism, Taoism, where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, inevitably it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds slap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some dry powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code, and now it's mutiny, community, uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, and Beto and Bruce. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Really? All the effort? Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. We started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, less knee jerk More evolution, less shit corn Preachers pretending to be teachers Y'all just predatory leeches I mean please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat Now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you it would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost, it might cost us, us a lot more than, than what can be gained game. by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces.